Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Oh, it's a massive night. I've got all the teams for you. We've got a brand new golf show and what a time to do it. 150th year of the Open. Nick Ahern's going to join me and the Brownlow predictor as well. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Sporting Capital. Sam Hargraves with you. I hope you've had as good a day as you possibly can, however you've been putting it in, wherever you've been putting it in. It's great to have your company, however you're finding us, wherever you're finding us, right around the country on the SEN network. You can call at any stage on the Harcourt's open line. one three hundred seven three six seven three six 736 736 is the number to do that. Your move, your Harcourt's. For all things real estate, speak to Harcourt's. For all things sport, speak to me. Uh, 0433 the temper text, temper, a mattress like no other. So we're doing a whole lot over the next three hours. And we are back, of course, no Thursday night footy. So back with you. Uh, if that's not to your liking, please direct all complaints to the AFL. Uh, but I'd love to hear from you throughout the course of the evening. So one three hundred seven three six seven three six to do that or 0433 So it's a big night tonight, 7.30. We've got our, Brett, our Betfair Brownlow predictor. Uh, Tommy Haylock's going to be in uh, to take us through what the Brownlow predictor has in store for us with the round ahead. I'm about to go through the teams because they've landed in the last half an hour for round 18. Um, And at 7 o'clock, well, it's 7 o'clock now, so at 8 o'clock, brand new show on the Sporting Capital, Off the Tee. And what a time for us to be debuting our very first episode, the inaugural episode of Off the Tee, uh, the Open Championship, 150th running of it is uh, underway at the moment. I'll give you some scores in a minute, but Nick Ahern's going to join me at 8 o'clock. Um, the show will normally be on a Tuesday, but we thought what a day to start. Uh, St Andrews, the home of golf, the oldest golf tournament in the world. So we're going to take you through the major hopes for that. We'll talk about some of the history of the event itself. We'll take you through the Aussies. Uh, who we think our main chances are. And Nick Ahern, who's played this course, played this tournament, will give us some of his fondest memories. He's got a new book out too, so he's going to be giving free golf tips away. So you do not want to miss that. Eight o'clock, off the tee. Uh, Cannot wait for our first episode of that. And then at nine o'clock, I'm going to do a tell me why I'm wrong that I'm fairly sure will get a substantial response. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but why don't we get into that? Well, before we do the teams, actually, let's give you a score update uh, from the Open Championship because it's a very good one for us. Min Woo Lee, four under, leading the way. One shot lead over a group of players at three under. One of those is Cam Smith as well. But Min Woo Lee has uh, gone out in one under and at the moment on the back nine has had a three under back nine through, uh, through to the 14th hole at the moment. He just had an eagle on 14. So he is four under and leading by a shot. Dean Burmeester from uh, South Africa. Uh, Brandon Wu, the American. Ju Hyung Kim uh, tied at second with Cameron Tringale, Cam Smith, Cameron Young. So three Camerons all at three under. JT Poston 
at three under as well. Uh, Lucas Herbert, by the way, is two shots back. Uh, the boy from Bendigo at two under. Um, and uh, Brad Kennedy is at one under. Another Aussie as well. Uh, the rest of our contingent haven't teed off yet. But when they do, we will keep you posted on how they are tracking uh, the teams for this weekend's round. And as we go through this, I'll play you some bits of audio from throughout the day and throughout the week that are pertinent uh, to this game. Uh, and we also will check in with um, my top eight final ladder prediction that happened a couple of weeks ago. We are two rounds in after I did my tipping for every game for the rest of the season for the 12 teams I thought were still in contention. And there's been some mixed results, fair to say. So I'll give you an update on where we're at um, with my predictor through to the end of the year. Um, but the teams are in. So why don't we work through those? And uh, if you've got a thought, if you've got a feeling, if you've got an inclination if you've got something you just need to get off your chest about this weekend's footy, one 736 736 But tomorrow night on AFL Nation, the best call team in the business, Western Bulldogs and St Kilda's got an elimination-style final, elimination final style vibe about it. St Kilda sitting just outside the eight. Both teams sitting just outside the eight. St Kilda on percentage. Uh, they're 12 percentage points behind Richmond in eighth spot. 36 points for the year. The Western Bulldogs are a game and percentage out. Uh, and both these teams have been in pretty ordinary form. When you have a look at the form ladder, um, both these teams over the last five games, the Western Bulldogs have won two out of their last five, uh, and St Kilda have won just one out of their last five. Uh, they're one and three against top eight teams. The Bulldogs are 0 and two against the top eight teams that they have faced. Both these two teams still in contention for the eight, but for how long after this game? So in... For the Dogs, Bailey Smith is back after his two-week suspension. Um, Buku Kamis is back in. That'll make uh, some of our Western Bulldogs fans very happy. Josh Bruce returns um, from a long layoff with a knee injury. So what difference can he make and what should our expectations be for him uh, so long out of the game? Lockie McNeil is back. Out of the side goes Anthony Scott, injured. Uh, Dominic Bedendo has been omitted. Josh Shackey is out with... Health and safety protocols, so read COVID into that. Lockie Hunter as well. COVID is starting to come back and have an effect uh, on the season. We've got to be really careful. Um, Robbie McComb, and on a day two where the AFL has said that they will fall in line with the government's um, vaccine mandate. So the AFLW players that have been holding out will be able to play this season. Um, Liam Jones, you might wonder, well, he would be he would be eligible to come back next season through any one of the avenues you can get back onto an AFL list after he uh, actually retired. So um, COVID having an impact. Western Bulldogs missing two. Uh, for the Saints, Ben Patton, Cooper Sharman, Ryan Burns all come in. Ben Long's been omitted. So too has Dara Joyce. And Marcus Windhager and Seb Ross are both missing with the health and safety protocols as well. Ben Patton is in for his 50th AFL game. Dan Butler, uh, the former Tiger Premiership player, is in for game 100. So Meet Baines was on with Jerry Waitley earlier today and spoke about the contract talks between Bailey Smith and Josh Dunkley. Yeah, look, a couple of the key players who remain out of contract at the end of this year are Bailey Smith and, and Josh Dunkley. Um, I think we've spoken about Bailey before and, and not being too far away. Um, part of the, the delay in finalising that has been 
waiting for him to return to, to play and let that be his sole focus, which will obviously occur tomorrow night. So uh, we anticipate that all get tidied up pretty quickly uh, between Sam Power and his manager, Paul Connors. Uh, and yeah, look, there've been some really productive meetings between, um, again, Sam and our list management team with uh, Josh and, and Liam Pickering earlier in the week. So, um, you know, we are probably a lot more confident now of um, getting a deal done there over the coming weeks too. Uh, well, of course, they'd be positive with the, the great man, Liam Pickering, in there. It'd just be a, 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 just a good time to be had by all when you're in that kind of company, as I just spill coffee all over myself, which is a good start. Uh, so that's uh, where things are at for both Bailey Smith and Josh Dunkley. As far as the dogs are concerned, and they have been a concern, David King uh, on Monday may have, he believes he's no, he put his finger on where the dogs have gone wrong. Their midfield, which is their whole salary cap, is the midfield. That is their whole investment. So this is a prime Bontempelli, McRae, Liberatore, Hunter, all these guys. Adtral law that is being subsidised. So they're effectively over the salary cap, Jared. Collingwood are paying for, we'll call it 300000 So whatever the salary cap is, say it's $12 million, they're operating on 12.3. So they're at, at full max plus. No one else has got that spoil. No one else. So you want to be capitalising on that. They're the fourth ranked at clearance and they're ninth ranked at contest. So it's not an absolute dominant strength. So when I look at the teams that are above them, it's teams like the Gold Coast, it's teams like Fremantle now that are coming with a rush. It's teams like Geelong. We talk about Melbourne every week where they're at with their core midfielders. So they've lost, they've lost their strength and then there's nothing else. So that was David King on the means test with Jared Waitley. Kane Corns on Monday spoke about the Saints and where he believes their issues lie. Their depth, I don't think, is is good enough, really. I mean, they, they, it's just the same issues that we've been talking about with the Saints. And unless you are absolutely ferocious week in, week out, which is a really difficult thing to be able to do for 23 weeks of the season, then you get found out when you don't have that level of talent that some of the other teams have. The forward line was a mess again, and the same issues apply when they're trying to do some different things with their forward line. King was playing higher up the ground, uh, Marshall and, and Ryder and Membry playing that role, but they once again got in each other's road. King was outbodied far too often, and, and I feel like he does need to get a lot stronger in the contest. Um, and their midfield is is okay, and it's competitive, but, I mean, they could not handle the heat that Fremantle applied and their ball use was horrific on the weekend. And in a finals-like game and finals-like pressure, they clearly found out and it goes to show that they're just not quite at the level. That was Kane Corns uh, earlier in the week. So uh, I, a couple of weeks ago, had St Kilda winning this game uh, and I'm going to stick with that. I just think the dogs look really, really off and the way in which they were just so easily led around by the Swans uh, on Friday night. Uh, the amount of ground ball, uncontested ground ball that the Swans were able to get. They piled on the points. The defence is an issue. So I think that St Kilda can get a win. And congratulations to another boy from Bendigo, Eagle Hawk, he'll want me to say. Um, they're very particular about that, the people from Eagle Hawk, about not being lumped in with the rest of us from Bendigo. But uh, uh, a proud Borough boy is Jaron Geary, and he calls time um, on a fantastic career. 16 seasons uh, at the top level after coming through as a rookie in 2006. Um, he, he captained... The, uh, he captained the side after taking over from Nick Rewalt, which is no mean feat. Uh, 207 games, um, podium finishes in best and fairest. Um, a very 
very highly regarded and much admired um, footballer within his own club and, and with the other clubs as well. So congratulations to Jaron Geary, who's called time uh, on a fantastic career, and we wish him all the best. one three hundred seven three six seven three six as we work our way through the teams for round 18. Saturday, uh, Adelaide and Collingwood. So Lockie Murphy, Mitch Hinn, Shane McAdam all come in. Ben Davis is the medi-sub. Jackson Haitley has been omitted. James Rowe has been omitted. And Matt Crouch has been omitted again. So he got sent down a couple of weeks ago. Um, had over 40 in both the games that he played in. Kicked three goals in two games as well. Came back and had a fair bit of the footy um, in their loss to the Hawks last week. And he has paid the price again, Matt Crouch. And you wonder where his future lies at the Adelaide Crows Footy Club. For Collingwood, Darcy Moore is back, which is great news. Trent, as we feared the worst a couple of weeks ago, Trent Bianco comes in. Isaac Quainor is out, health and safety. So another COVID issue. Oliver Henry has been omitted. Uh, their third highest goal kicker this year has been omitted. Taylor Adams is out injured and Tyler Brown was the medical sub. But the big in, Ash Johnson, who was taken in last year's mid-season draft. So this is another one of the guys. Um, he's half-brothers with Shane McAdam from the Adelaide Footy Club. They're all from Halls Creek. Uh, ben Davis as well. Went to South Australia to try and find a way into the big time. Played really good footy with Sturt. Was taken in the mid-season draft last year. Has been a consistent performer at VFL level uh, for the Pies. And he comes in. So that's really exciting. The 18th Indigenous player to play for Collingwood. And what an occasion for the Pies. Maybe their greatest ever, if not on the podium, you would think. Scott Pendlebury plays game number 350. Uh, and he was asked, uh, well, he's one of his partners in crime and his 2010 premiership teammate, Steel Sidebottom, was on SEN today and was asked about Steel Sidebottom. Uh, was asked about Scotty Pendlebury and is Pendles the best ever pie? Is it without question now that he is the greatest magpie of all time? Well, in my opinion, I think he is, yeah. And, you know, I haven't obviously seen some of the greats go around as, you know, as much as like someone a little bit older than me is. But for me, he's, yeah, definitely at, at the top. Yeah, I mean, I could speak all day about Pendles. Um, you know, I've obviously been pretty privileged in the position that I've been in and been able to watch him, um, you know, up close every day. And, um, yeah, for me, there's no su- real surprise of why he's been such a high performer for so long. Just an incredible resume from Scott Pendlebury. Uh, still side bottom, asked about him as well. Um, and so too was his coach, Craig McRae, who was asked today if he could go on to 400 games. He's got another year to run. We'd start thinking now about 400. Do you see it as a possibility? <laughs> oh, look, 350 is nice. I think we'll stay in the moment. It's too hard to forecast forward. Obviously, he's got a contract, but um, yeah, look, we, we want to we want to stay in the moment, particularly for this week, and and celebrate Pendles for what it is. Oh, look, he's just so meticulous in his preparation. Uh, you know, I talked about to the group on Monday if we, you know, we want to do Pendles justice this week. I don't really want to make it about one person or, or emotion to the game. But if we prepare as well as Pendles does, we'll be well suited. Um, his preparation's like no one else I've seen, and um, you know, stepping in here as the senior coach, I've seen him from afar in different roles. But as a senior coach, his leadership is on and off the field is, is quite remarkable as well. So, um, you know, he's an important part of what, where we're going and what, what, you know, who we are. Craig McRae about Scott Pendlebury. Congratulations. An absolutely stellar career, the likes of which... And the, a player the likes of which I don't really think we've seen. The way in which he plays the game, time and space really mean nothing. He creates his own time. He creates his own space. He creates his own tempo to the game. I, I, I put him in a category, I think he's just one of the most enjoyable players to watch that I've seen in my time watching the game 
and covering the game. And I don't know if there's a, maybe Marcus Bontempelli is in this of a similar ilk, but I just can't remember anyone who moves the way that Scott Pendlebury does. I mean, he is just, he's, it's poetry watching Pendlebury. Um, Collingwood captain since 2014, premiership player we know, Norm Smith medal uh, in that premiership win. He's been a Coaches Association player of the year. He's the Pies Games record holder, six-time All-Australian, five-time Copeland Trophy winner, three-time Anzac Day medalist, a Lou Richards medal, uh, a Best Captain Award in 2020. Uh, phenomenal. Congratulations. Uh, Johnny's on the road uh, before we get to the break. G'day, John. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, just, um, um, yeah, look, I just, just before I make my point, yes, really a wrap for Scotty Pendlebury being a, a Collingwood supporter. Yeah, perhaps perhaps the greatest ever, maybe just edging out Nathan. Um, so, yeah, very happy for him. Mm. But, yeah, just in relation, um, there's been a little bit of talk about um, salary cap squeeze with um, uh, the Western Bulldogs and a couple of other clubs. But one interesting conversation with a, a football person yesterday about Carlton being in a fair bit of strife and rumours that they are looking at offloading Zach Williams after only a couple of years and perhaps some more because they don't have the room to improve the list. So um, it's um, yeah, pretty funny because I often wondered, a lot of... A lot of recruiting has gone on and taken off. Um, a lot of players have been taken off other clubs for a better pay packet. So it was about time, and I think they're going to be exposed. So as dangerous as they are this year, and they are a very, very good team, I think they're in a bit of strife. Yeah, the, the, the questions around the salary cap are, are well-founded one, John, and they have been discussed. It was reported that uh, players needed to take a pay cut to make sure they could get Adam Chera. Uh, into the door, so there is uh, there's going to be some finagling that needs to be done there, and they are paying a fair port a fair portion uh, from all reports to Zach Williams. Um, reports of about eight fifty to nine hundred. So yeah, there'll be some massaging that needs to be done there, especially with how players you know like and they've got Mackay signed on. Uh, Kerno's not far away, I think, from being out of. Con- I've got to double check that. Um, but yeah, they, they, they'll be feeling the pinch a little bit, and it's interesting to be feeling the pinch before you've actually achieved something. It more happens, more so happens after you've achieved something. So yeah, that will be an interesting watch as how they manage that. And thank you for your call. I'll give you the rest of the teams on the other side of this before we get to uh, the Brownlow Medal Predictor at seven thirty with our team from Betfair. Uh, Minwoo Lee still uh, with a share of the lead now, four under with Kim. Uh, Ju Hyung, uh, sorry, Ju Hyung Kim and Cameron Young from the US of A. Eight o'clock tonight off the team, myself and Nico Hearn with our first episode. Just to finish up the teams before we uh, come back with the Brownlow medal predictor for Betfair, uh, the rest of the teams for round 18. So Carlton Geelong, MCG, Saturday night. Stocker is in. By the way, look up Cal Toomey's story about, and, and Rolly Beveridge's story about Liam Stocker. Apparently 32 players have now been impacted by the Liam Stocker trade. It's a phenomenal story. Fascinating if you're into that stuff. Uh, Josh Honey's been omitted. Lockie Bryan has been omitted too. For the Cats, Jake Collar-Jasney comes back. Jed Buse has been managed. Quinton Narkle, that is going to be the game of the round, I feel. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I thought that Carlton could beat Geelong with no Tom Stewart. I was wavering. I've got to stick with my prediction. But I reckon they could still get the job done. Uh, at the MCG, but I reckon it'll be an absolute cracker of a contest. Uh, Fremantle and Sydney. Blake Akers is back. That's good to see from that hammy. Heath Chapman as well is in. Ethan Hughes been omitted. Liam Henry, the medical sub. Nathan Wilson been omitted as well. For the Swans, Tom Hickey uh, comes back. Uh, Harry Cunningham was a medical sub, and Peter Laddams uh, has been injured for that game. Um, 
I've got Fremantle winning that. Giants and Brisbane, Connor Iden, Jacob Hopper, Jacob, Jake Riccardi come back in. Uh, Adam Kennedy injured. Callum M. Brown, the Irishman's been omitted. Lockie Whitfield is injured. Phil Davis is injured. Isaac Cumming will play game 50. Uh, and for the Lions, who were ravaged by COVID and injury, they get Archie, McStay, Gardner, Andrews, Coleman, Answorth all come back. Uh, Michael, Madden, Tunstall have been omitted, along with Leicester and Fullerton. Marcus Adams is injured, and so too Oscar McInerney. North Melbourne, after getting rid of Dave Noble during the week, uh, Jason Horn francis does come back in. Lee Adams has brought the number one draft pick back. Charlie Lazaro is omitted. Jack Marnie was the medical sub for Richmond. They've wielded the axe. Jo- uh, Gibkus, Vloston, Bolter, Cochin, and Sonzi come in for his first game. That's Tyler Sonzi. Uh, Soldo's injured. Arts omitted. Castagna omitted. Morris Rioli Jr. omitted. Thompson Dow omitted. And Tom Lynch is injured. Uh, on the Sunday, uh, Bailey Scott, by the way, for North Melbourne playing game 50. Essendon and the Gold Coast. 440 Marvel Stadium, Alec Waterman, Jai Menzi, Mason Redmond add into the squad. Jai Menzi, if he plays, will make his debut. Darcy McPherson, Isaac Rankin, Jai Farah, Oleg Markov added to the Sun squad. Malcolm Rosas was injured again, unfortunately. For the Hawks, Jay Sarong might make his debut, named in the squad. Uh, Kyle Hardigan and Will Day. And for the Eagles, Witherden, Jamison, Nelson, Cully. Jai Cully, mid-season draft pick, number, uh, pick one. Uh, is added to the squad. Jamie Cripps, Xavier O'Neill, Petrocelli is injured. So is Nat Nui. Willie Rioli is out. Sadly, his father passed away, and we send our condolences uh, and all our thoughts uh, to the Rioli family. Uh, and for Melbourne, last game of the round against Port Adelaide uh, at TIO Traeger Park in the NT. Tomlinson, Melksham, Chandler, Dunstan, Wiedemann, Rivers all added to the squad. And Oliver, Petty, and uh, Oliver had injured Petty, health and safety protocols. Jake Bowie's been omitted. Riley Bonner, Steve Motlop, Trent McKenzie, Xavier Dersma all added to the squad. Jed McIntyre has been omitted. Those are the teams. We'll talk more about them as the night goes on. But up next, our 2022 Brownlow medal predictor. It's all for Betfair. We'll be back after this. The Brownlow Lowdown for Betfair. Betfair's Brownlow predictor has been right three years in a row. Check it today. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Uh, week three of the 2022 Brownlow Medal Predictor, and of course, joined as always by the main man from Betfair, Tommy Haylock. Hello, mate. Great to be with you. How are you? Really good. Really excited. Uh, we've got the uh, the Open Championship happening uh, at the moment. Min Woo Lee uh, with an equal share of the lead. Rory McElroy's one under uh, through two holes. He's just teeing off on the third at the moment. So very, very exciting night. Uh, but of course, um, this is week three now of the Brownlow Medal Predictor, and we're getting uh, fantastic, fantastic feedback. feedback. Uh, it's got to be said. Um, and I think we're learning something each and every week, uh, Tommy. So, um, where are we starting? What I, I'm actually curious to, to get going. We're going to work through this week's movers, uh, and drifters. Um, but just out of the last, uh, just out of round 17, uh, what can you report back on in terms of the Brownlow medal predictor? after especially Geelong and Melbourne. Yeah, now this was a huge game, Sam. Now, I don't know if you watched the game closely, but um, if you're out there and you could be confident who gets the votes on in that match, you are, you're a genius because... Did you catch that match, Sammy? You would have been no, right I certainly did. It. Glued, yes. glued who, to who it. Who were you giving the votes to? Uh, who would I have given the votes to? That's a very, very good question. So I'll just read, I'll I, I, read you I thought, this. I thought Danger yep. um, was very good. Yep. Um, I thought 
Mitch Duncan was good, and I thought um, I thought Tommy Atkins. Oh, actually, I really liked Mark Blixarves. I thought he would have got more coaches' votes because he did such a good job um, nullifying Petrarca and Oliver uh, in the middle. So, yeah, I, I thought Danger, I thought Duncan, and I thought Blixarves. And Guthrie was really good too. So if you were on Clayton Oliver or Petrarca, you were hoping for a Melbourne win. It's as simple as that. You've got Patrick Dangerfield, 31 possessions. He kicked zero, goes four. He didn't get near the, the big sticks. Um, that would have secured him three votes, I reckon, if he just slotted one or two of those. Yeah. Um, Mitch Duncan, 32 and two goals, one. He got eight coach, eight coaches' votes. Patrick Dangerfield got eight, eight coaches' votes. Clayton of Oliver, 34 possessions and one goal. That's vote-worthy in a winning side, but they've gone down. I he probably doesn't get a vote. Um, he got one coach's vote. Petraka, 21 possessions and three goals. One, another great game. If they win, he probably gets votes. Um, he got two coaches' votes. So Yeah, they got a lot of the ball, but I thought just at at stoppage, I thought Blixarves did a good job Spot just not on. to let them hold sway. So Oliver and Petraka on the Brownlow medal predictor on the hub on betfair.com.au forward slash hub has got Oliver and Petraka no votes, as you predict, and I think they're spot on there. Um, the movers and shakers on the back of that, well... That's been a tricky one. You've got – well, let's go through a couple of others. Patrick Cripps, 24 possessions, one goal. He got five coaches' votes. I don't know if he'll poll. Um, he might be lucky to get one. Um, Sam Walsh had 25 and one goal, one. He got zero coaches' votes. Votes. Lockie Neal was kept quiet, 21 possessions. He uh, won't get any votes. Andrew Brayshaw was the big mover, Sammy. He continues to have yep. a massive season. He had – 36 possessions, one goal, eight coaches' votes, and no doubt about it, lock it in. He'll get three votes. So he has gone to the top of the Betfair Brownlow medal predictor. And at the moment, you guys have got him sitting on 25 and a half votes. He's on top in the predictor, and he's skyrocketed into favouritism on the back of that best on ground. So you've got Lockie Neal, Oliver Petraka, Patrick Cripps, Sam Walsh. Probably don't poll last week, amazingly. He's the only player to poll out of the top five or six, and he polled three in a best on ground win. And the one player who'd been coming and the odds had been really sharpening was Jeremy Cameron, and uh, he wouldn't have got any from the weekend he didn't, either. He didn't get any either. So if we go back to last week, this time last week, Brayshaw was $6.40 on Betfair. Now he hit as low as $3.30. He's into $3.40 at the moment. So the beauty of Betfair, Sam, if you took that $6.40, and this is what we're going to do week in, week out, we're going to try and predict some market movers and whatnot, make some money. You could have backed him at $6.40 last week, and you can lay him now at about that $3.50 mark and make money on just on him firming, like a stock market. So that's the beauty of that. Um, amazingly, something we have touched on before, he was matched at $170 early in the year. $170, Sam. So whoever got the 170s out there or whoever laid him at 170s, you're uh, a bit nervous, I reckon. It wasn't you, weren't no, it wasn't me. Uh, you can lay bet on AFL markets only at Betfair Gamble responsibly, of course, 1-800-858-858. So, Tommy, just for those who – because we like to pump up the fact that the last three Brownlow medalists have been all predicted by the Betfair predictor. And not only this – so this is the part that gets me. Cause this is the part that I go – not. so obviously it's very impressive to get the, mm. the, the three winners. But the fact that you've back, you, you've predicted who's going to come second for the last three years as well. So you've Quinellet the last three years, which is very, very impressive. And that's where I, that's, that's where I start to go. Yeah, a bit of hard work involved, paying off. Pretty good. Yes. Pretty good. So just explain to those who aren't aware how the predictor works and what factors you all bring in um, to the, it's almost like when you, when you're making a juice, 
right? So what? <laughs> yeah. Stay with me here. <laughs> when you're making a juice, if you go to the juice bar or uh, if you do them from home, you got to, There's a few different elements that you add, of course, into the blender um, or the Nutribullet, whatever it is that you've got, to uh, churn it all out, and then out comes yes. this delicious beverage. Give us the ingredients that make up uh, that go into the predictor to churn out what we have. Um, at uh, on the website here at the moment. The, the last three years has produced a delicious beverage indeed, yes. Sammy. Um, well, plenty of things. So basically we had him on last week, Joel Cashman, watches all the games. So that's a first start. But he takes statistics, all sorts of analytical data, statistics, coaches' votes, media votes, because the media, believe it or not, has an impact on polling votes. So that's all taken into account. We rate the, the matches. Just on that, yes. is our belief... Because I've, there's been a long-held belief, too, that if the media cotton on to someone, give it a year and the umpires have too. And that's not a crack at the umpires. It's no, just there no. is sometimes a lag. So is that because what media do in their awards and with from their awards comes conversations about players, they point to players who are having years, that builds awareness and that impacts the market as well. So hype is generated by not only the media uh, for us talking about them through our votes and then in the, anal- uh, in the analysis of the games through the week, but also on SEN about the people that call in and say, have you been seeing this bloke? So the li- so for you listening, you have an impact on this too because that generates conversation as well. Spot on. And umpires are only human. They're, they've got to be privy to some sort of media. They shut their eyes. They can't. They've got to walk around. They listen to the radio on the way to work, whatever it might be. They're, they're only human. So they're going to take into account hype. If, you, if media starts talking about players... You're spot on. There is a lag, and it's really interesting in Andrew Brayshaw's perspective. This is a breakout year for him. For him. Yeah. The Brownlow Medal predictors got him polling in the first six rounds, seven of the first eight. So yeah. two, two, two and a half, maybe three, one, two, two. If he replicates will that, he? Yeah. that is that is a huge test. So we can monitor this later in the year when when the Brownlow gets polled, it gets called out. See how he goes. He might poll better at the end of the year. Media's built him up. So these are the rounds that the Brownlow Medal Predictor has him polling in at the moment. So as you say, first six, nothing in round seven, but a three-voter in round eight. Uh, and then votes in 11, 12, 13, and then a couple of weeks leaner, and then a three-vote in round 17. So he's polling. there's only five games that the Brownlow Medal Predictor doesn't have him polling. It's, it's just a matter of whether what he does is as noticeable uh, to the people in more often than not lime green these days. Spot on. And and that is that is key. No Fife probably helps him massively. Um, I don't know who, who else polls votes for Fremantle That's a great point because maybe Chera was on that path. Yep. Sarong would, would be the other one. Um, Dave Mundy has proven to be a vote getter. They've got good depth. They're, they're yep. just playing good team football. But yep. he has been the standout. But whether the umpires pick that up. So that's an interesting element too. Like when you look, when you factor in who is likely to take votes away. Yes, yes. And we saw it with Adam Goods when he polled well. He was a standout for, for mm. Sydney. Yep. Um, we saw it with Judd at Carlton. Um, they stand out and they get votes. Um, yeah, so he's a fascinating case. Just a couple of other movers, Sam, from the weekend. Lockie Neal was $3.40 at time of recording this last week. He was soundly beaten. Um, he was very quiet. He was now $4.10. So he's drifted. We've got the big mover. It was Oliver. Now, he's done his thumb. He's out for a week. Everyone's saying it's only a week, Sam. So he was he's threes out to $4.90. $3 out of $4.90. He had 31 possessions, kicked a goal, but won't poll, as we said. He started the round last round as Brownlow medal favourite. He's $4.90, misses this week. 
Um, Alan Richardson said he's only going to miss one match earlier in the, the week. So it's fascinating what happens there. Do you, you any, any intel? You... No. Um, I, I reckon a week's about right. Yep. Um, if they wanted to be cautious. Uh, it, the interesting thing is if they had a one last week, um, I wonder whether they'd be more inclined to give him mm, a bit more time weeks off. off. Yeah, because they're sitting second on the ladder now. So Yeah, so it's a, things are a little tighter for the yes. Ds at the moment. So um, I think that they'll look to get him back as, as quickly as they can. Um, they've got the Dogs in two weeks' time, and he's polled well and performed really well against the Dogs. So they, I think they'll be keen to get him back. In the last three three games against Bulldogs, 32 possessions. I don't think this is including the, the grand final where he played well, obviously. But 32, 38, and 33 possessions his last three against the, the Dogs in home and away matches. So... They'll be keen to get him back, and if they do get him back, I'll touch on it later in the program, um, I'll be keen to have something on. So there's a little early sneak preview of what's what's to come, Sam. Uh, this is the 2022 Brownlow Medal Predictor, um, our dedicated show to trying to get ourselves ready uh, for Brownlow night uh, a long way out so you can come in with the information you need um, just to have a little bit of um, uh, insight. So this isn't a show that's just about... Um, you finding a place or, or finding the right bet that suits, but it's about giving you the water cooler information you need that you can have the info uh, and the intel um, to be able to steer friends in the right directions, to be able to uh, talk confidently about who you think's going to poll and when you think they're going to poll. If you do bet, of course, gamble responsibly, one 858 uh, 858, but we're hoping uh, that this is educational uh, as well. And and if you've got a question of the Brownlow Medal predictor for Betfair, one 736 736 or a question for Tommy Haylock, 0433 you can get to us on the Harcourts open line or the temper text, one uh, 736 736 on the Harcourts open line. Just before we look ahead to the players for this week, I want to ask you about Paddy Cripps. Yep. So first... Seven games of the year, first eight games. The only there's only two games that the predictor doesn't have in polling. Um, in the next eight, and there was a buy in there as well. So it's um, in the next seven games, uh, in the next eight games. Sorry, um, he's only polled twice, and those are a two vote and a half a vote in the last round. So he's fallen off. In a he big has. way, according to the predictor. He has. He was very short in betting earlier in the season. I think he hit favouritism, and I'll just get that up um, amazingly. So it's the beauty of Betfair, Sam, and anyone can ask questions about how to make money, how to trade, whatever it might be, and it's one market that fluctuates. So he got as low as $2.92 favourites throughout the season, amazingly. So if you laid him then, you can actually back back at $20 or whatever he is. He's $15.50 now. Mm-hmm. You can actually lay him and then back him back and, and make money without even having a, an influence on the result or sitting there on Brownlow night securing a profit. There's a cash out function as well on Betfair. So if you're making money and you're betting, you can do it that way. Um, Patrick Cripps, $12.50 at the moment. So $2.92 out to, out to $12.50. And you can predict, and that's what here, Sam, we're here to do. We can predict matches, who we think might firm, who might drift, whatever it might be. And we can trade, we can back, we can lay, we can trade, make money without even um, picking the winner. So that's the beauty of it. Uh, we've got a question from Billy in Ascot. Uh, Billy, hello, mate. Yeah, hi, mate. Yeah, just quickly, um, just on the Brownlow, I know it's probably a bit less field or maybe not many people will rate him, but I'm not a Gold Coast supporter, but Tuke Camilla, I just think that guy is so underrated. If he was in Melbourne, he'd be a super safety all over the papers. Never gets the mentions down here, but so consistent week in, week out. The guy, I'd put him in my top five for the Brownlow. Yeah, so um, 
Took Miller. It's a good question, Billy. So last year, um, I think a lot of people thought that he might be able to find his way uh, up into uh, the top 10. Um, and it might be one of the ones where there is a bit of it. This might be one of the ones where there's a bit of a lag that we were speaking about before, Tommy. So Took Miller last year, 17 votes. who so was outside the top 10. Um, this year, I think numbers are pretty favourable. But yeah. you tell me, where's the Brownlow medal predictor got him? Uh, at the moment, and maybe he is a player that, given that the Suns are winning more games this year, but they are sharing it. I mean, Noah um, Noah Anderson's having a career best He's year, a good year, which might take a few away. But it's a good question from Billy. So he he was all Australian last year, but it wasn't probably reflected in the Brownlow votes in terms of a top ten finish. How's the Brownlow predictor got him going this year? Yeah, well, he polled seventeen votes last year. We've got him at sixteen already. Come round seventeen, I think he finished off last year like a house on fire as well. So that's something to note. How he finishes off, obviously. Gold Coast are performing better on field as well as a team. They're, they're winning more matches. So if they can continue to win, we've got six rounds or so to go. If they continue to win, he's he's right in the contention. If you, if you like him, you can go back and have a look at the draw coming up. If you think they're going to win a few matches, he's going to be pivotal to that. You can take the $19.50. You might get 15s later in the year, $12. If he continues to play well, you can tra- back, back him now and trade off later in the season and make money that way as well, Sam. Billy, appreciate the question. Uh, this is the Brownlow Medal Predictor. It's all for our very good friends uh, at Betfair. The Brownlow Predictor has been right three years in a row. Check it today. Gamble responsibly. one 858 858 If you've got a question, one 736 736 Or if you've got a little uh, inkling of your own, 0433-98-1116. Back after this. The Brownlow Lowdown for Betfair. Betfair's Brownlow predictor has been right three years in a row. Check it today. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Uh, you can lay bet on AFL markets uh, only at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. 1-800-858-858. Tommy, a couple of questions before you give us some players to watch for this weekend and a new part of the show, your three, two, and one. Mm, yes. This will votes. be your, your votes in order. Uh, one, pressure on me. two, and your three voter is your best bet yes. of the weekend. Uh Cam Guthrie is a hard player to predict. Uh, a few one and two Brownlow votes, maybe. Would he be Geelong's best pace, best placed player so far? Blixarv's another tricky one to place. That's from Glenn in Heighton. Uh, Glenn, I can tell you at the moment that on the Brownlow predictor, Jeremy Cameron on 16 and a half votes. Um, Cam Guthrie, second best for the Cats on 13 votes. I was having a look at this, Sam. It's amazing for a team that's on top of the ladder. They've got a guy at $95 in Jeremy Cameron and a guy... Guthrie at 190. So mm. testament to how well they're playing as a team. They haven't got a standout player. And obviously Danger, who bowls well, has been on and off. Uh, and what about Connor, uh, Clayton Oliver? Is more likely to win? Is he more likely to win based on Petrarca not being as dominant and Max uh, being out for so long? That's from Lee Nary Warren. I think Clayton. Uh, I think Petrarca polled probably slightly less than expected last year. He polled 23 votes. Yep. Oliver 31 and Max gone 16 last year. So... I'd suspect this year the the models got Petraka actually polling more votes than he did last year. So um, it was trending that way. So it's really interesting. But that's a big factor. I think Clayton Oliver's had a better, more consistent year, and he polled so well last year. So he's got to be in the mix. Uh, and Peter from Peterhead. Is that a place? No, I don't know. I've never heard of Peterhead. <laughs> but how good being Peter from Peterhead? Um, Connor Rosie, what can you get? Yeah, well, name your price. 320 at the moment, which is the beauty of Betfair. You can ask for more than that, see if you get matched. Um, yeah, 320 on Betfair. Amazing. You've got him polling in rounds 6, 9, 11, 14, 15, and 17. He's been fantastic of late. So two out of the last three games, he's got a three-voter on the predictor. 
Um, hey, uh, we're running short of time, so let's get a couple of players to watch for this weekend, please. Yes, Lockie Neal, obviously looking to bounce back. Last time he played uh, GWS, he had 39 possessions and two goals when they met in round 11, polling nine coaches' votes. So keep an eye on him. Cripps, first time Colt and Geelong have played each other, which is a weird nuance of the, the fixture this year. Um, Cripps was playing last year. He was tagged by Mark O'Connor. So um, interesting if they do that again. Only had the 19 touches. Yes. Yep. So um, a 26-point loss. Walsh was saying that, that 26-point loss, but he was really good. So Cripps got the tag. Walsh was fantastic. Had 36 possessions, kicked two goals, perfect 10, despite losing. So enormous game. He might be off the chain if they tag Cripps again. He might be one to watch. And Brayshaw, obviously, against Fremantle. Fremantle going to the match's favourites. I heard you say earlier that you think Fremantle will win that match. Yet to poll a vote versus Sydney. Well, I picked them two weeks ago. Yes. Uh, and the, the the form that Sydney showed last week, well, they're a bit hot and cold, Sydney. But they are. They play like that. And I'm still trying to figure out whether Sydney's win was a testament to how good they were or how bad the dogs were. Mm. And I think it's a little of a little column A, a little column B scenario. But... Gee, they were great to watch last week, the Swans. So their offense versus Fremantle's defense, um, it's, it's, a, interesting. A, it's a toss of the coin, that one. But I did have Fremantle two weeks ago. Okay. Hey, um, what have you got for us? Your three, two, and one. So oh. this is what Brownlow Knights are about. Mm. One vote, two vote, three vote. To start yeah. with your one vote for I've your, got a, your bets for this my weekend. F- second vote's actually a match market rather than a Brownlow market. Just done something different. Threw That's something okay. in. Some odds, but Go for it. one vote. I am laying Andrew Brayshaw. Controversial. But he hasn't polled a vote against Sydney. I know he was good um, when they met last time. But I just think the $3.40, $3.50 at the moment's rock bottom for a horse, uh, for a horse, for a player that hasn't actually got the history of polling well. I think he'll be longer at some stage in this year. So you can lay him now, ask for that $3.60 or something like that. You can back him back later in the year at about that same price. So that's my that's my number one play with one voter. Two votes. I think Adelaide will show up this week, and I don't know why. Against Collingwood, I've just got a feeling back to lay. They're $2.50, $2.52 at the moment, Sam. I'm going to back them now and put in a little lay bet in play. Keep in play. You can do that. You can ask me how to do that off air as well, whatever. Lay, uh, at about that $2.10 mark, I think they'll give a sight, and they might go up early. So there's a little one. I think they'll be okay. shorter. They'll be competitive. And the three votes. We've got a drum roll in here, Sammy, or anything like that? Do I have a drum roll? <laughs> Gee, that's uh... next week. I'll get one. <laughs> I'll get one. Why don't I have a drum you roll on here? You should have a drum roll. We'll get that for next week. We'll get that for next week. I don't think. Uh, I don't think the CEO has a drum roll. I'll tell you what we'll get. Yet. I'll tell you what we'll get. We'll get Gil. Get uh, three votes. Three votes. One That'll vote. Two brilliant. vote. Three votes. That's can what we, we'll get. Can we organise that for next week? Audio. We're doing this as we go. I am going to back Clayton Oliver this week. Now he's not playing, but I have a feeling that if. He'll be out of sight, out of mind. He'll drift. Oh, if, there'll be a drift. Here I think we go. He'll, I okay. think he'll drift based on not playing. So it's $4.90 at the moment. I think he'll be five twenty at some stage, and I'm happy to back him to win the Brownlow at that price. So I'm keeping a very close eye on the market on Betfair, betfair.com.au, this weekend. If Brayshaw starts well, and this is a beauty, Sam, you can bet in play while the, the games are going. If Brayshaw has a really good first quarter, he'll firm on from the Brownlow, and Brayshaw will... And, Petraka and Oliver and whatever will drift. So Oliver, for me, $5.20, I think's a bet. Oh, I think that's brilliantly done. So there's the three, two, and one um, from Tommy Haylock from Betfair. And you can uh, – Betfair's Brownlow predictor has been right three years in a row. You can check it today. Make sure you gamble responsibly. Call one 858 if gambling is a problem for you or someone you love. But just to reiterate, on the Brownlow predictor that's been right for the last three years with the one and the two placed finishes – uh, we've got Brayshaw on 25 and a half, Neil on 24 and a half votes, Oliver 
on 24, Petrarca on 21, and Cripps 19 and a half are the top five at the minute. Tommy, we'll see you next week. Been a pleasure, mate. Thank you. Uh, coming up next, uh, as part of the Sporting Capital, our brand new golf show, Off the Tee. Nick Ahern, the former world number 16, is going to join us. And what a time to be doing it on the first day of the 150th uh, running of the Open Championship. Back after this. Live around Australia on SEN, welcome to Off the Tee, talking all things golf with Nick O'Hearn and Sam Hargraves. Oh, yes, indeed. We are very, very excited to be bringing you the first ever episode of Off the Tee, our dedicated golf show, part of the sporting capital on SEN. Normally, this is going to be on a Tuesday night, but we thought with 150th running of the oldest golf tournament in the world at the home of golf at St Andrews. The Open Championship is exactly day one where we need to be launching this show and it is an absolute pleasure to have the former world number 16, the only man to beat Tiger Woods, not once but twice in match play golf. Nick Ahern, hello to you. Sam, it's great to be here and and it is that iconic event, isn't it? The Open at St Andrews, it just does not get any better. Uh, It doesn't, and we thought we'd start off. So this show, each and every week, by the way, in the last segment of the show, Nick Ahern, who's got a new book out now, which is called What? Uh, How to Play Your Best Golf. There we go. Simple. But but that's all you need. (laughs) The clue is in the title. Uh, He's going to give you a tip from said book to help you play your best golf. And if you've got questions, you can send them through 0433981116, and you can call in at one three hundred. 736736. So over the course of the next hour, we're going to talk through the Australian chances uh, leading into the Open Championship. Um, We're going to get uh, Nick's memories of playing at this tournament and at this course. Um, But Nick, we thought we'd start off with just, oh, and this is the guarantee that we're making. Mm. Because this is a celebration, because we're trying to revel in this (laughs) moment, we are declaring this (laughs) a live-free zone. A live for absolutely. We're going to park that for next week yeah. and get your thoughts on the breakaway tour and all that comes through with it. We will touch on the fact that Greg Norman has not been invited to be here, which is sad given his history. There's a two-time winner in 86 uh, and 93 of this mm-hmm. event. That There is a sadness to that because of this, this should be an event where everybody who can does come back. But we'll touch on that in just a moment. But we live free, Nick. Next week. Next week. <laughs> we can talk about it next, next week. We can talk about it next week. So for those who aren't aware of why this tournament is held in the prestige that it is, as one of the four majors, what's your take on this? As we, we start with the history mm. of the Open Championship, the Open or the British Open, as it's been known. Well, it is, it is the oldest major championship. That, that's mm. the thing about it. It started actually back in, I mean, I did a bit of research on this because I didn't know when it started, and it was 1860. Yeah. And it was started because in 1859, there was a guy called Alan Robertson who was the best pro around at that time. And pros were kind of looked down upon. And they thought they'll start this golf tournament in honour of Alan Robertson, 1860 at Presswick. And they played there for about 10 years. The first one at St. Andrews was held in 1873. Yep. And they awarded this thing called the Champion Golfer of the Year. And it's so cool that they've continued on that tradition. And it was a belt. It was a belt in the beginning, like exactly. 12 years it mm. was a belt that you, that you got. And the first one I, I was reading today as well, three rounds of 12 holes. Isn't that awesome? On the Lynx course. <laughs> <laughs> 12 holes. That sounds like a good way to do things. Maybe. Yeah. Well, maybe not. Maybe you not. It's harder to play your way into some form. So, um, and, and 
the they introduced the the jug. I think it was nineteen seventy three was when they first awarded it. But they did put oh sorry eighteen seventy three. But they did put young Tom Morris's name on it. Who won the award? Who who won it in nineteen in eighteen seventy two? Mm. But they didn't have it ready yet. So his in, his name is the first engraved, even though they didn't present it till eighteen seventy three. His name is on it from winning it in 1872. Yeah, and his old man did all right too, didn't he? he won old it, Tom. He won it four <laughs> times. Young Tom won it four, and then he passed away, yeah. unfortunately. But, the, I mean, the history of the Open is just something to behold. And and you look at all the great champions' names on there, and you know, including the Australians. Obviously, our legend, the late, great Peter Thompson, won the Open five times. Yeah. And he did that in a span of about 11 or 12 years too, which is just incredible. And and there are only, um, I think it's three Aussies have their names. Sorry, four Aussies have their names on the Claret Jug. Peter being one. Kel Nagel, he won the Centenary Open in 1960. Greg Norman twice. And Ian Baker Finch in 1991. So there's a very proud history of Australian golfers who have, have won the Claret Jug. I wish that it had been me. I was fortunate enough to play a number of British Opens or Open Championships, depending on what you want to call it. But uh, when it comes back to St Andrews, that's just as good as it gets. So we're going to get your memories of uh, Open Championships, but also St Andrews. But um, the St Andrews course itself, and mm. we're going to give you score updates in just a moment, by the way, too, and we will keep you updated all throughout the night uh, on where things currently stand. From an Australian point of view, Minwoo Lee, who, who let out, um, he is back in the clubhouse, a three-under round for him. He was outright leader, then equal leader, and then he bogeyed 17. But Cam Smith... He's four under through ten. We've got an Aussie at the top of the leaderboard. There are four players tied at four under at the moment. And that was the interesting part about, you know, this golf tournament at this course. Uh, Early on, they were saying these players are going to eat this place up and some low scores are going to be shot. But the thing about St. Andrews is in its defence is there are so many bunkers out there for one, but it's playing firm and fast. And that actually makes the course play even shorter. However, it means it's hard to get the ball close to the hole. So... We're in for a wild ride over the next four days. I'm hoping some wind gets up because that'll be a lot of fun too. So the home of golf, St Andrews, uh, 469 years old, thereabouts. Thereabouts, yeah. Um, tell us a little bit more uh, about what makes this. I, I read a quote from Jack Nicholas today saying there isn't a course that comes anywhere near mm. what St Andrews is. No no course comes close to, to being what St Andrews is. Yeah, it's, it's so hard to describe almost. I mean, there's been a lot of words spoken this week about it you know some say uh, it's a it's a living breathing masterpiece it's a work of art uh, it's mystical it's uh, spiritual in, in a way and I remember there was a quite a funny quote from Tiger Woods quite a while back where there was a player who went there and thought you know I don't really see what all the fuss is about and Tiger said to him well obviously you're not good enough to understand it <laughs> which is a great call wow, I thought. that is as good a burn <laughs> mm, I love that comment that is and, and he's right, because there are so many different ways to play this golf course. And, and the reason it is so unique is, is the strategy involved. It's one of those golf courses that on the tee, you go, okay, where is the pin position? That determines yeah. your line off the tee because that's going to provide the best angle into the hole. It may be a short par four. And the thing about St. Andrews is there's a lot of short holes. There are probably five or six reachable par fours. Both par fives are reachable depending on the wind. And it's not a long golf course. The unique thing is there's 14 par fours, only two par fives, two par threes, which is very, very rare for a golf course. This is the number that would strike fear into the hearts, though, of any golfer, whether it be the weekend hack, uh, the club pro, 
Tour Pro or anyone in between, as Victor Hovland's finding out right now, <laughs> he's in one of 112 bunkers, Nick. He is. And, and he cannot get a shot. He I can't know. get in there. He can't reach down to it. He's on, uh, he's on the fourth. Just talk us through what's oh. confronting him at the minute. Well, you know what he should be? He should be a left-hander and he'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> now, for me, it would be no issue, this bunker shot. But the thing about the bunkers there are they're so small and the sides are just vertical faces. Yep. When Tiger won back in 2000, he never went in a bunker, which is just unheard of around this golf course. I love the names too. The names of these bunkers are incredible. You've got Hell Bunker. You've got the Seven Sisters. Well, that You've, sounds fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's a massive par- bunker on this par four. You go in there and you feel like you're in hell. There's one called the Stroke Bunker because... You don't even see it, and you think you have a stroke when you go in there. <laughs> there's there's Kruger, and then there's Mrs. Kruger on 9 and 10. Yep. And they actually don't know what that stands for, but uh, obviously they had a bit of a nightmare there for sure. So we thought with the course, um, we would get people, we, we would try and uh, give them the vernacular, the, a bit of the lexicon that they'll be hearing if they're watching the coverage all throughout. So I'm going to throw some things up at you, okay. and you tell me what I'm referring to. Mm-hmm. Swillican Burn. The Swilkin Burn. Swilkin, sorry. Yes. I've, that's my own bad time. <laughs> no, that's okay. The Swilkin Burn. So that runs uh, bet- a lot across the fairway on 1 and 18. On 18, it doesn't come into play. On the first hole, it comes into play. Famously, Ian Baker Finch, unfortunately, went in the Swilkin Burn when he was leading the 1984 Open Championship, which Seve won. But uh, we won't remind it, IBF, of that one. Not just yet. No. Um, <laughs> the, the little brook that flows through. Um, so of the 112 bunkers, the Sutherland. I haven't heard of that one. That's okay. on 4 and 15. 4 and 15, okay. You've got me there. The principal's nose. Yes, I know that one well. That one's on 16. I always tried to avoid that one on 16. Uh, the Beardies. Yes, another the Beardies. That's another one I have heard of. I'm actually not sh- exactly sure where it is. The thing is, they all have names. And you, unless you go in them, you don't really know what they are. The Valley of Sin. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> the most famous, I think. That's where Constantina Rocker in the 96 Open hold that monstrous putt on the last to get into a playoff with John Daly and you know it's famous for Jack Nicholas driving the green and going through the valley of the sin when he won in 78. Victor Hovland by the way um, with the pot at, at the edge of the green that he's in on four couldn't get a shot because he couldn't stand in there had to go stand in there and play out behind the bunker and has gone into the fescue uh, so he's given up uh, <laughs> a, a, about 20 or 30 meters uh, and he's now on a, on a arguably just as tough a lie. Um, what about the the road bunker? Oh, the road bunker. That's also called the Sands of Nakajima. Yeah. <laughs> because Tommy Nakajima went in there and had four shots to get out when he was leading and ended up making a nine, yes. and that was it. So uh, I've been in there, and I have gotten out in one shot, so I was very happy. Nicely done. And, of course, the 17th hole. Yeah. So there's the road hole. The railway sheds, the old station road. Um, you, you players hit over those sheds, which mm-hmm. is part of the hotel. The part of the hotel that lines up on St Andrews. Yeah, so they have the writing. It's called the Old Course Hotel, which you got to hit over. And you mm. usually go over course. You don't. If you go over hotel, you might be in it. And if you go over old, you're going to be in the left rough. So if you hit it anywhere over course, you, you're quite okay. So there we go. There's just a little bit <laughs> to help you uh, as you're hearing some of these names um, uh, popping up throughout uh, the next four days of what we're. I'm sure will be scintillating. Golf. Now, before we get into um, who we think are the, are the main chances from the internationals, and we call them internationals, as obviously we're in Australia, and we'll get to the, we're going to de- develop, we're going to dedicate a whole segment to the Australians and the form that they're in coming in. What about a couple of your favourite open moments? 
a couple of mine. Yeah. My favourite open moments from years past, you mean? From years past. Uh, it's hard to go past Sebi. I mean, in 84, if yeah. that's what you're talking about, or if you're talking about opens that I've played. No, we're going to get to that. We're, we're going to we're gonna speak okay. about your memories and your performances. Yeah. That, that's, and that's your favourite holes too. That's probably one of my first memories of the open was 1984, Sebi, the fist pump on the last green when he managed to just will that putt in. At the same time, Tom Watson was up against the wall on the road hole making his bogey, and that's when Sebi won. So... That was very much a favourite of mine. Um, and then... Well, let's well, have a listen. A putt that will swing from right to left. Oh, what ecstasy. Birdie three. And it's surely going to make Seve the champion. And it sure did. Mm. Got another one for us? Well, Jack Nicholas. I mean, uh, in 1978, I think when he... Sorry, 1970 was his first one. That's probably one of those ones where he, he pulled, off the, pulled off the jumper and drove it through the green and ended up uh, winning that one as well. So it was, he won two Opens at St Andrews, that one, and then in 1978 uh, where Doug Sanders missed the putt. But the 70 Open, for him, that was just one of those historic occasions. So for the final scene, if Nicholas can hold this, he wins. Three-time winner, twice at St Andrews. Tiger has gone back-to-back, but two of his three at St Andrews as well, and it's great to see Tiger uh, is back there. We're going to speak about who the main chances are in just a moment. We've got a few texts coming through as well. Uh, Cam Smith has just done what on 12? He's just driven it over the back of the green, which is exactly, if you're not going to be on the green, that's the perfect spot to be because anything short is very, very tough to get close to that hole. He'll be looking at a birdie on 12, and that should take him... Uh, back into probably a shot behind the lead, I'd say. Yeah, so he bogeyed 11. Uh, so he's at three under. Um, as we just go through the leaderboard, as we get to our first break, and we're going to come back uh, in just a moment. But the American Cameron Young has a one-shot lead at five under uh, from Barclay Brown, uh, Hyung Kim. Brad Kennedy is having a very, very good round as well, uh, the Australian. So he's at four under as well. Minwoo Lee in the clubhouse at three under. Uh, Kurt uh, Kitayama at three under. So too Bryson DeChambeau, Cameron Smith, Billy Horschel as well. Uh, this is the first ever edition of Off the Tee, part of the Sporting Capital on SEN. Sam Hargraves, Nick Ahern. We'll be back after this. You're listening to Off the Tee with Nick Hearn and Sam Hargraves. Listen back to any part of the show you might have missed by subscribing to the Off the Tee podcast. Uh, yes, indeed. Welcome to our first episode of Off the Tee, and we're bringing it to life and to you uh, on the opening day of the 150th Open Championship at St Andrews, the home of golf, the oldest major, the oldest golf tournament in the world. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you. Uh, Nick Ahern is here, and at the moment, uh, with a one-shot lead, the American Young at five under. But the real story um, from an Australian point of view, and we are going to take a little bit of a deep dive into our Aussies who are competing, but Nick Ahern, uh, Brad Kennedy, at 48 years of age, a New South Welshman, and you'll tell us a little bit more about it, but he um, he is at four under, mm. uh, equal second. Uh, Cam Smith at three under. Min Woo Lee back in the sheds at three under as well. But he's playing very, very nicely. Yeah, he's a model of consistency, Brad, and played very well over the years here in Australia. Does exceptionally well up on the Japanese tour, which is where he mostly plays, and I think that's how he qualified for this Open. He won the Order of Merit a couple of years ago here in Australia, but... Mm. 
it's the sort of golf course at the moment, the way it's playing, because it's so firm and fast that even the shorter hitters can still contend around here because Brad's not on the long side and his strength is putting. And I've noticed he's four under through six. So he's got it's all these holes. Base. Yeah, he's got all these holes, five through 12. They're real scoring holes. He could, he could go low right now. So, and Cameron Young uh, putting for birdie on 10 at the moment and just trims the right edge. Uh, so we are going to go through our Aussie chances. We're going to go through the uh, who you think are the major chances. But I thought, why don't we go down memory lane with you? So um, <laughs> how many times have you played uh, the Open Championship? I've played six Opens and yep. fortunate enough to play two at St. Andrews. My first major was actually the 2000 yes. Open Championship at St. Andrews. And I have never been so nervous in my life up until this point, standing on the first tee with a 100-yard fairway. So take us inside with. that. <laughs> the most famous, the oldest, the yep. most prestigious. And there you are. Uh, so what would that we won't even we won't do the numbers on no, how old no. you were, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, it was hitting me at the time that I was yeah. standing there thinking, this is a hundred yard wide fairway, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to hit it because my knees were shaking at this moment. So I was just trying to make contact. It's funny, Peter Thompson always used to say, rather than take the iron or the three wood off the first, just take the driver. That's the largest headed club. Just knock that down there. And so I just chipped the driver down there, trying to get the ball away, and I was more than happy to get it in play. And I actually made the cut that year. I think I finished about tied 41st. Tiger Woods won it, obviously. Yep, uh, did. The experience of playing all four days was, was incredible. And then I was fortunate to go back to St. Andrews later that year in the Dunhill Cup, representing Australia, in the last Dunhill before it became the Pro-Am format, the Dunhill Lynx Championship. Mm. So I played the course a lot over the years, especially on the European Tour. But then back in 2005, I managed to be go back there again. Uh, I qualified through top being top 50 in the world. And that was probably my best performance in an open where I finished tied 15th. Yeah, you did. So um, what worked, what went well for you in, in back in 2005? Well, I think just knowing the course uh, through all my years of playing on the European tour, we, we got to play St. Andrews every year and I'd played the open there previously. Uh, I got off to a pretty good start and, and just sort of kept the, kept it going. And, and as I said earlier, the secret about St. Andrews is the pin positions because they can tuck them in some spots where you think, how am I going to get to this? And a, a good shot with a wedge can sometimes be to 30 feet, which is kind of what we get here in Melbourne a lot of the time on these sandbelt courses. So it's very much a strategic course in that sense. You didn't need to be that long. I think the weather that week was pure. So, you know, length off the tee wasn't a big factor and... Number one, I stayed out of most of the bunkers. Not all of them, but most of them. So Tiger won it that year. He went on to win it the next year as well at Royal Liverpool. Who did you end up, who did you play with across the four days in that oh, year? See, now you're testing my memory and, <laughs> and I'm 50 years old, Sam. So I, <laughs> okay, so you've just done the maths for us. <laughs> exactly. On <how> I... <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, the following year when Tiger won at Hoylake, that was an exhibition of itself. He just used an iron off most tees there. So yeah. this year at St. Andrews, you're going to see a combination. Irons, drivers, three woods off tees. There'll be a multitude of ways to play this golf course. And everybody wants to know how to play the, the two-iron stinger that Tiger's mm. made famous. Um, you, and then a couple of... A couple of sort of mixed fortune years, wasn't it? Mm. The next couple of years weren't kind to you, and then you made the cut again in 2008. Yeah, that was at uh, Birkdale, I believe. I mm. think Harrington won that year. I, I, I unfortunately missed out on a couple of opens where I was exempt, but I was injured at, yeah. at the time. So I couldn't play. So I would have loved to have played a couple of more. Again, this year, I was almost thinking about going over and trying qualifying because I thought the, right? the Open at St. Andrews, wouldn't that be awesome? But things just didn't work out as planned, wow. unfortunately. But, you know, I'm, I'm exempt into the Senior Open, so maybe next year I'll give that one a crack. And just before we get to your favourite three holes at St. Mm. Andrews, 
it was obviously it wouldn't have been a decision made lightly by the RNA. You spoke about the fact that you were going to head over there, and we have declared this is a live free <laughs> episode. We yes. are going to delve into the live tour next week. But as we said, Greg Norman, um, two-time winner, um, eighty-six, ninety-three, mm-hmm. uh, didn't win it here. No. At St. Andrews, but wanted to come back and play, he said, in April. That was knocked on the head, but so too was him even attending. So uh, the round yesterday um, were all the former winners and, and um, the, the dignitaries mm. uh, head around uh, and the dinner as well. Tiger has ticked that off. Rory McIlroy said that's the right call. They The, the RNA have said that, uh, no, we wanted this to be about the 150th year. And unfortunately, with Greg, it, we, we felt like it would have detracted from keeping all the attention on what this occasion was. How do you feel about the decision? Yeah, I, I think it was the right decision in that yep. regard. And I've idolised Greg, you know, growing up uh, my whole career. You know, of late it's possibly changed from, you know, everything going on, which we'll talk more about next week. We but will. When he, you know, put the application into play, he's 67 years old and they don't allow past champions to play past the age of 60. Mm. So he would have had to go through qualifying or get a special invitation. So I understand why they didn't give him that one. The... You know, non-invitation to the Champions Dinner, a little bit of a kick in the teeth, but I can also understand why they did it as well. They just want it to be all about the Open. And you mentioned that uh, former Champions uh, four-hole tournament that they did yesterday or the day before. I remember back in 2005 sitting on the clubhouse steps watching all these greats tee off because that's what I watched, that that they did the same thing back then. Yeah. And I watched Nicholas Trevino. Sam Snead oh, was around. He wow, teed off. Sam Snead. Oh, it was amazing. He was hitting these 180-yard draws, and I think he was about 84 years old at the time. <laughs> it was the most amazing thing to watch. And then Gary Player this year, if you watched him tee off, you know, he's 83 or 84 himself, and he's yep. just playing incredible golf. Three-time winner, Trevino yeah. won it twice. He'll tell you he's... He's uh, shot his age about 3,000 times, Garrett. He loves to tell you that as well. So I was surprised he didn't do about 100 crunches yeah. on the first tee either. <laughs> so there, there is, and, and I think there is a sadness. There's an understanding of the decision, but I think there is still a sadness. Putting, put aside what we think about what's happening right now, there is a sadness that it's got to a place in golf where a guy with that history uh, at the tournament mm. uh, and, and in the game is, is told, unfortunately, you're not welcome. Um, and whether or not they could have just shoved him to a table up the... I heard Andrew Gaze talking about this. Put him on a table at the back. You're not to do any media. Uh, and we're not going to even put a camera on you when you're out playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hate to tell you, but that's not going to happen with Greg Norman. So, uh, yeah, well, we'll talk about that another time. But I think it was the right call. Yeah. I'm just glad that we're here watching the Open. And, and Rory McIlroy's got off to a nice start, which is great. We're watching him play the par five at the mm. moment. And I would love nothing more to see if it... If an Australian doesn't win, I would love to see Rory win. Well, why don't we then move ever so uh, just beautifully uh, into a nice little segue into what we're going to talk about next. And that are that is the Australian chances um, and also uh, the overall chances that we feel might be best place to take out the 150th Open Championship. Cam Smith is at four under. He's about to tee off on the 13th. Uh, we will be back on the other side of this. Uh, this is Off the Tee, our first edition. You're listening to Off The Tee with Nick Hearn and Sam Hargraves. Listen back to any part of the show you might have missed by subscribing to the Off The Tee podcast. Uh, welcome back to Off The Tee. Sam Hargraves, Nick Hearn with you. And uh, through 11 holes at the moment, the world number 32, Cameron Young, the American, has a two-shot lead uh, over amateur Barclay Brown. Cam Smith is on 13, Nick, and... 
got lucky uh, on the drive. He certainly did. Took an iron off the tee, pulled it left and flirted. Well, didn't flirt. He actually went between the bunkers. Now, if you go on those bunkers on 13, that's an instant bogey. Maybe even a double if you have to go out backwards. He hit a shot to the middle of the green there. That's a tough pin to get to. It's on the right-hand side, so he'll be happy with four to move to the next. Those bunkers on 13, there's the Walkinshaw bunker. There's the Lion's Mouth bunker. And how's this one? Coffin bunkers. The coffins. That tells you exactly what you need to know. Uh, but Cam Smith is four under. Uh, Brad Kennedy, the 48-year-old Aussie, um, is at four under as well. Minwoo Lee back in the sheds at three under. We're going to go through the best of the Aussie chances in just a moment. But what we didn't get from you, Nick Ahern, was give me your, give me your favourite three holes on St Andrews. Do I have to and do why? three? Because, you know, we'll 18... We'll be here all night. We'll be here all <laughs> no, night. No, I, I get it. You know, it's interesting. I spoke about the first hole and how nervous I was on that tee shot, but that first hole is one of the most simple designs in the world of golf. Peter Thompson used to call it one of his favourites because it's such a wide fairway, and all you do is you put the swook and burn at the front of the green, you put the pin near that, and then it's so hard to get to. So such a simple design, and it's one of my favourites. The other two, I'd, I'd have to say, would be 17, the road hole. Mm. Not because it's an easy hole, just because of the history. And when you turn that corner on the hotel, you see 17 and 18. And 18, obviously, with the Valley of Sin and the history there. That's incredible. But I'm going to say a fourth because I, I can. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, your name's on the door. There, there you Denny go. Crane. It, it's the reachable par for 12th. I love yep. that golf hole because... There are some bunkers there. If you didn't know you, they were there, you would walk straight into them because you can't see them off the tee. They were incredibly well hidden. And sometimes you're actually trying to hit it in the right-hand rough off that tee. So it's a fascinating hole, very reachable downwind. But into the wind, it's just an absolute menace. Beautifully done. All right, let's go through the Aussies. So we've got, um, in no particular order, uh, Cameron Smith, Adam Scott, Mark Leishman, Lucas Herbert, Minwoo Lee, Jed Morgan, Brad Kennedy, Matty Griffin, Anthony Quayle, Jimmy Papadados, and Jason Scrivener. Um, we're going to be a long time going through all of them, but um, <laughs> let's start with who you feel coming into this uh, is best placed from an Australian point of view. Well, I think the three that stand out would be Cam Smith for obvious reasons. He's just playing amazing golf, number six in the world right now, and won the Players' Championship earlier. Yep. Had a top ten at the Scottish Open last week, so he's getting a feel for mm. the Lynx golf. He's had five top tens this year. Yeah, it's all about the driving for him, though, because that can be his nemesis a little bit. He's an amazing putter, one of the best putters in the world. So I'm really liking Cam Smith, and obviously the way he started four under through 12 is a great way to yep. get the uh, tournament underway for him. Best finish tied 20th in 2019, so it hasn't... Look, it hasn't happened for him yet um, in, in Open Champ, but we know in majors yeah. he is always near the pointy end of recent times. He is, and he's only played four Open, so, you know, he, he hasn't really had that much you know, as far as uh, getting the legs and, and under the road, so to speak. A couple of guys with, well, I, I won't speak for them, but I would imagine mixed emotions about this championship. <laughs> yeah. Adam Scott, runner-up mm -hmm. in 2012. Yep. Um, Mark Leishman, the last time it was at St Andrews. Mark Leishman, runner-up in 2015. Yep. He could be a smoky. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he has the game to play well around. He loves shaping the ball and, and just manoeuvring it through the wind, growing up in Warrnambool, obviously. But he actually led. He had a one-shot lead with three to play in 2015. Yeah. And there's one shot that he says, I wish I could have back again, and that was his approach to the 16th. He said, out of bounds was right. Bunker left, I didn't commit, and I pulled it into the bunker, made bogey, had a putt on the last hole for birdie to win, and unfortunately didn't make it, and then went into the playoff, and, and Zach Thompson just took it away from him. Yeah, his second major. But that was the last time that the, the Open was at St Andrews uh, mm. as part of the rotation that occurs. Um, 
what about some of the others? Um, and well, if, we, I'd love to mention Adam Scott to, to start off with. I think if yeah, he wins please. here, this would be, you know, he'd, he'd move into legend status in Australian golf, I think, because, you know, winning the Open at St Andrews is something else. And, and his chances here, again, back in 2015, he was tied for the lead going into the back nine. So he has the game to do it around here. Now, whether the, the history of his, of his Open Championship, that one back in 2012 when he had a four-shot lead with four to go, and he lost it to Ernie Els, yeah. that sort of could haunt him a little bit, but he's playing well. He had a three-year run where he went second, third, fifth, mm. I reckon, in a row. And he and captured the Masters a, in there as well. Yeah, and, and, and it's been mixed, uh, a little bit mixed for him um, since then. Um, just from some of the other guys, so Lucas Herbert, um, he tied 51st, so he's made the cut back in uh, 2018. Um, he's won the Irish Open last year, um, so he likes the, the Lynx golf. Mm. Minwoo Lee is another who handles wind so well. Uh, had a good showing at the Masters earlier in the year. What about for those two? These are two of the young up-and-coming stars. Absolutely, and, and Minwoo won a, the big open when it was blowing like very, very yeah. hard down at 13th Beach. So he, he loves to hit that stinger too. You spoke about the two-iron stinger off the tee. He's going to be putting that into overdrive this week. And he's off to a good start, obviously, already with his three under par 69. Lucas Herbert, he's a gamer. Uh, when he gets a sniff of that lead, he loves to compete. Got some the swagger. Thing about, got some swagger about him. He's got some swagger. He doesn't mind wearing those tight pants. But uh, <laughs> but the thing about Lucas is he loves to hit down and compress the ball. So he's going to have some very sore wrists by the end of the week because this ground is rock hard. Yeah, he's uh, through 15 at, at two under. Uh, at the moment. So uh, in a share for 11th place uh, at the minute. Uh, and just quickly before we get to some of the other the big names, but from an Australian point of view, so uh, Jed Morgan, who won the mm. Order of Merit, uh, Australasian PGA this year. Um, He's been struggling of late, though. Yeah. Uh, he just hasn't played much good played golf. Played the US Open and, yeah. and, and, and had a hard since time Since that win. Yeah, the PGA was an amazing victory, but ever since then he struggled. Uh, and, and do you see anything in the games? of So Brad Kennedy, it's a great story. I think he... He's four under through seven, doing nicely, the 48-year-old New South Welshman. But then you've got uh, Matty Griffin, Anthony Quayle uh, making his debut. Matty Griffin at his second British Open. Dimi Papadados at his mm-hmm. second. Jason Scrivener at his second. Yeah, I quite, I quite like Scrivener, to be honest. He's got that yeah. game. He grew up in WA, uh, even though he's born in South Africa. We, we, we claim he has a West Australian. Um, and he loves playing in the wind, and he's had a very nice career in, in the – well, playing the DP World Tour, basically. But – uh, Matty Griffin spoke about Anthony Quayle the other day. He's a bit of a sleeper, I reckon. He's got a lot of length, plays a lot in Japan, and, and he's apparently playing really well at the moment. Now, I know we're doing Aussies, but I'm going to go down the Kiwi path because Ryan Fox, he's been okay. playing amazing golf on the DP World Tour. Right. He's been top three, I don't know how many times, in his last five or six events. Look for Ryan Fox as well by the weekend. All right. So now of the whole field. So I think we've talked about <laughs> who we think our best-placed uh, Aussies are. You alluded to this a little earlier, and I'm I'm with you um, on the person that you think would probably you you think's best place to take this out. So to talk to us, so Rory McIlroy won in 2014. He has had a love hate relationship with St Andrews. He now says it's his favourite course, but in years <laughs> gone by, that has not been the case. In 2010, when Louis Oosthuizen won, um, he was in. I think he he leapt out of the blocks as as a youngster a young whippersnapper mm. um, back then and then ended up uh, tied for third um, and has had mixed feelings about St Andrews, the home of golf since then. What has you so confident about his chances coming in? Apart well, from his brand new shoes, by the way, which have to be seen to be believed. <laughs> well, his form's been very impressive. Obviously, yep. he won the Canadian Open 
a little while back and has been playing well ever since. Um, and he's just due, I think. And I think for him to come back to the Open Championship, the home of golf, having played the practice rounds and also all this, these practice rounds uh, in Ireland recently with Tiger Woods, he mm. must have been picking his brain no end. And I just fancy Rory. He's just got that swagger about him again, just yeah. walking around the, the grounds. And, and he's just uh, he's one of those players that I love to watch play. And when he gets that bounce in the step, there's just nothing like it. And, and he can run away with it if he gets off to a hot start. Yeah, back to number two uh, in the world. He's nipping at the heels of, of Scotty Scheffler, and we know that the start to the year uh, that he's had the Masters winner. Um, would there be something quite serendipitous about it being um, a UK player? Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, Scottish player for sure, or or, or a British player as, as they like to call them, depending on where you're from. Um, but I don't. The only player I really see amongst the British would be Matt Fit. Matt uh, Fitzpatrick, who won the U.S. Open recently. You know, he's in some really good form. Uh, another player who does like to play around there, and I actually haven't checked if he's playing this week, Tyrrell Hatton. He tends to play well around the old course, but I'm not sure if he is playing this week. I'll have to look that one up. We'll look that up in the break. Mm, we will. But uh, I like Matt's, Matt Fitzpatrick's chances. He loves to hit the ball low, get it out there. He's obviously in good form, just winning the major. Uh, just, you know, if I'm going to go across the pond to the other side, Justin Thomas, who won the PGA recently. He'd be a real favourite of mine as well because uh, yep. he loves to shape the ball, work it around, and he's got Bones on the bag, who's a legendary caddy out on the US Tour, and um, and I really like the way he's playing at the moment. Even though he missed the cut last week in the Scottish Open, I think that might have been a blessing and give him an extra chance to do a bit more reconnaissance on the old course. Um, all and sundry were tipping John Rahm to have a dominant, dominant year this year. It hasn't quite panned out that way. He's still number three uh, in the world. Um, what are you thinking... Is his game suited to, to, to Lynx golf? Oh, very much so, yeah. He's, he won, I think, the Irish Open a few years back and, yeah. and, and really has done well on firm and fast golf courses over his career. So he, he's yeah. another one I'm looking towards. But again, he's tied for third last year. Yeah, his form's been a bit lacking of late. But, you know, it's the Open at St Andrews. If you can't get up for this one and get your game in shape, well, number three in the world's still pretty handy, isn't it? Is there, and, and, and of the... The players that we probably haven't mentioned that are all sitting in the, the, the top sort of five to ten at the moment with Scheffler and Cantlay and um, Chauflay, um Cam Smith, six in the world. You've got Thomas uh, at seven, Colin Morikawa um, in uh, at, in eighth, Victor Hovland, world number nine, and Matt Fitzpatrick, um, who'd be, a, as you spoke about, a good chance uh, at ten. Anyone in the top ten and in the top 20 that's really jumping out at you? Uh, the other player I think who might be a good chance, mainly because he's probably going to use the putter a lot around these greens, is Victor Hovland. You know, mm. he's a very strong player. Uh, there's a bit of a question mark on how he plays on Lynx golf courses, but I, I think he'll rise to the occasion. And as I said, he doesn't like to chip the ball very much because he's not very good at it. So he'll actually have to uh, use the putter around the greens a bit. If he goes a bit further back, as I mentioned earlier, Ryan Fox, he's, you know, I think he's about 45, 46 in the world at the moment. And he's, mm. he's playing some fine golf at the moment, but we're, we're going a bit outside the top 20 there. Uh, Sam Burns mm. is moving quite is. rapidly uh, up the world rankings uh, at the moment. And by the way, uh, I'm not just saying some of these names because they uh, are Callaway men, <laughs> uh, because I've got my Callaway hat on. Uh, by the way, the new Jaws Raw uh, wedges out soon for Callaway. Uh, nice plug. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sam Burns, but he is a name that we're seeing more and more uh, in top tens and climbing further and further um, up the world rankings. He's currently um, number 11 in the world. Yeah. No, he's he's an outstanding young player. I think he might have won three times this year on the US Tour. Um, 
again, the only thing I'm not seeing with him is the experience on the Lynx courses. And the old course at St. Andrews, you do need that experience. It's yeah. very rare you can come here as a one-off and win. You need to have played it four or five times. So why is that? Give us the – I mean, we are going to do your – we are going to give, and each week this will happen, mm. uh, on off the tee where – uh, Nick Ahern will give you uh, a golfing tip and you can ask some questions as well. 0433981116. Actually, before we get to that, um, I'm not sure, I can't remember if you mentioned him, but Michael says, Evening, Nick. I think Jordan Spieth at 17s is a very good bet for Open. Got a very good short game and an excellent putter. He'd like your thoughts. Absolutely. We haven't spoken about Jordan, have we? Why he's have we one. not done I that? I don't know, actually. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's actually one of the, I think he's in the top five or six that has a great chance of winning this tournament. I'm not, I'm not sure what the odds are on him, but uh, yeah. If he lights it up on the greens and then can get his ball striking under control, yep. which he has been of late, that's been his real strength. He's definitely a contender, and he's won before. Uh, world number 12 at the minute. Now, this is a question to test your knowledge of, as we were reminiscing on 2015 with Mark Leishman. Did or did, his, did or did he not find a divot with his ball in the playoff? First playoff hole, he did. Yeah, he a couple did. of people have texted in about that. Yeah, and he ended up missing about a four or five footer on that first playoff hole to make bogey on that yeah. first hole, which just put him on the back foot. And I think Zach ended up uh, making one or two birdies over the four holes to clean him and Louie up, basically. And and the Lynx course that this is, um, being the oldest, uh, the first, obviously, the undulations. Mm are phenomenal and as you watch them on tv how much more pronounced are they and how big an impact does it have with a course where you, you might flush your drive down the <laughs> middle and all it takes is just uh to find one of those mounds or yeah and the bunkers here are like magnets in that regard if you get the wrong bounce it can go 40 to 50 yards off the intended line that you wanted in the first place and if we can get a bit of a bird's eye view on this putt Murakawa's got on the TV at the moment it'd be lovely to see what he's got but there's so many putts where you can have five six seven foot slopes in front of it that you've got to go over and then down and across and that's the beauty of the course is that they can tuck the pins in places where they're very very hard to get to the ground's very firm the only way you can get them close is if you run it up there and if you're not used to playing the game along the ground, you're going to really struggle this week because most of the players from the PGA Tour especially are used to playing the ball through the air. Now, hopefully if we can get a bit of wind around, that would really sort the men out from the boys. Seems to be a bit looking at the pin flapping, uh, the flag on the pin flapping on the six. Colin Morikawa, last year's winner, uh, just pushing one to the left-hand side of the cup and a little bit of work to do uh, to save his par there. So as we just uh, work our way through the leaderboard, Michael says thanks so much uh, for the answer there. Um, greatly appreciate it. Another question coming through. Nick, if you were to play again at St Andrews, would you pack a shovel? <laughs> a shovel? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about that one. Um, I, I definitely uh, probably pack the half set, that's for sure. The, the funny thing is when I played St Andrews, I didn't mention this earlier, but I used to carry two putters because I used to have a broomstick putter. And yeah. You get a lot of 100, 150-foot putts on the, on the course because a lot of the times you're putting from well off the green. I couldn't swing the broomstick putter far enough back, so I put a short putter in so I could give it a good whack. Um, and uh, before I do the leaderboard, actually, I'll save this little gag that's come through off the text till after the leaderboard because it's, it's not bad. Uh, so, quick look at the leaderboard. We'll hit refresh here, but it is still the American, uh, Cameron Young, with a one-shot lead. He's six under through 11. Um, the South Korean Ju Hyong Kim is uh, second outright at five under, uh, one shot. Uh, in front of Barclay Brown, the amateur. Cam Smith is at four under. Minwoo Lee in the clubhouse at three under. Uh, Kurt Kitayama, the American. Bryson DeChambeau, also from the US. Robert McIntyre, the Scott. Uh, Danny Willett as well. Uh, JT Poston, Brad Kennedy, all at three under. And then 
uh, a ton of players at two under, including uh, Brad Kennedy, uh, sorry, Lucas Herbert, Cameron Tringale. Uh, is it Tringale or? Yeah, Tringale. Exactly. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Either way. Get it right the second time. Billy Horschel, uh, Corey Connors, Ernie Els. Um, a player that you loved oh, to play yeah. with. Yeah, if I could pack Ernie in a suitcase and take him with me everywhere, I would because worst score I ever shot with him was about four or five under, I think. And, you know, he's won the Open twice. Uh, unfortunately, one of them was against uh, Adam Scott. The other time, interestingly enough, was against two other Aussies, Stuart Appleby and Steve Elkington, back in 2001 or two, I think it was, at Murfield, where he beat him in a four-hole play, a four-man playoff. Uh, and we've got about a minute and a half to come back with on the other side for your tip, for your golfing tip. Right, we'll I'm save ready. the best till last. But this text coming through, just as about Greg Norman not being invited to the dinner, this is some pretty brutal stuff. That's another dinner he uh, can't go to, like Augusta. Oh, oh that is. Oh. That is. <laughs> Sticking the knife that in there. <laughs> as brutal as it gets off the text. This is off the tee, our first ever edition, uh, the opening day of the Open Championship. Sam Hargraves, Nick Ahern. We're back with Nick's tip after this. The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. We're going to speak to Gary Belcher about just how incredible Origin Decider was last night. And Tell Me Why I'm Wrong is back. one 
was that state of origin decider last night. One of the most brutal first halves I've ever seen and one of the most incredible deciders and some moments that will live on um, for eternity in origin folklore, whether it be Val Holmes' desperate save to keep the ball alive and to keep possession for Queensland and, of course, Ben Hunt in the 79th minute, I reckon it was, uh, the charge down on the Nathan Cleary kick and runs over half the length of the field to put one away in the corner and to put the game to bed. Um, yeah, that was a special, special origin. Um, that's for sure. Uh, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 The teams are in. We've gone through those um, at a time when COVID is starting to wreak havoc uh, again. And uh, if you weren't aware that, um, yeah, there's been a fair few changes from a lot of teams that have been uh, caused uh, due to COVID. So just having a look through the teams for tomorrow night. Uh, we won't go through all the teams uh, again just now, but even for tomorrow night's game between Western Bulldogs and St Kilda, Josh Shackey and Lockie Hunter are out due to COVID protocols. And so too are Marcus Windhager for St Kilda and Seb Ross for the Saints as well. So, um, yeah, we, if we thought we'd seen the back of COVID, um, we've, we're, uh, we're being given... Uh, a stark reminder that that's not the case. Um, and, of course, on a day where the AFL lifted uh, or got into line with the state government's um, vaccination mandates, so uh, that will allow a couple of AFLW players, including George Patrikios, to come back and play uh, AFLW Season 7. Um, and what that might mean for Liam Jones, who decided not to be vaccinated, um, is to step away from the Carlton Footy Club. Um, Michael Voss was actually asked today about whether Carlton would be interested in having Liam Jones return, uh, given that he could, given he retired, he's going to have to wait to come back uh, onto an AFL list for next season. Michael Voss, the current, uh, the Carlton coach, was asked about Liam Jones. No, I think, um, you know, as a, as a club, we've, we've, there's been obviously some choices made that Liam made. Um, you know, we're obviously ha- happy to facilitate that choice based on the parameters that were there. And mm. I think as a footy club at some stage, you know, you sort of got to move on. And, um, and, and you know, as unfortunate it is, we'd like like to Liam to still be with us, but, um, you know, that's just not going to be possible. I think as a footy club, we move on. Is Liam Jones still on your radar? There we go. So uh, that was Michael Voss on Sports Day, uh, basically closing the door on Liam Jones coming back to Carlton. one uh, I'm going to play you as well in a little bit. Um, all and sundry. Just about every coach that's spoken in the last couple of days has been asked about Buddy Franklin and whether they'd be interested in having him on their list. And the CEO of the Swans, Tom Harley, was on with Gerard Waitley earlier today. So I'm going to play you a portion of that too. But uh, this is one of my favourite segments that we get to do now that Thursday nights uh, are back for the sporting capital. Um, a little one I like to call... Uh, tell me why I'm wrong. And uh, just as I look down, just as I look down uh, at my uh, at my desk here, somebody has taken my opener. So we we will have to just uh, go in cold. So the <laughs> someone's someone's taken my opener. How disappointing is that for all the build up? one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 Not that you even know what my uh, tell me why I'm wrong uh, is for this week. In fact, uh, as I just uh, work uh, to get this back up, um, I'll give you the scores again. Um, no, it's not going to let me do that. Uh, right. Well, isn't this just brilliant? Um, brilliant, brilliant radio. 
Anyway, we've got to move on from that. We can't do it. We are going to do Tell Me Why I'm Wrong. All right, so tell me why I'm wrong for this week. I'm going to take a position on something. I might not, it might not be necessarily what I believe and what I agree in, but I'm going to take a position on something and I want you to call in and tell me why I'm wrong. So you've got to come with your arguments. We've got to talk about this like it's, take to this like it's a court of law. So if you're going to object, have your objection sorted. Tell me why. Don't just say you're an idiot, you're wrong. You can say that if you want. Um, often my gripe is that when we get feedback to some of our opinions and ideas that um, there's no counter argument, there's just the abuse to say that you got it wrong. So you've got to tell me why. I'm wrong. So this all came about because I was uh, listening to Kane Corns of recent times, but also too because I was speaking to a mate of mine who for the first time in his life bought shares, uh, became a shareholder, um, and as part of getting those shares in a company that had apparently just merged, he got a report, um, a, a shareholder's report. Um, the company had merged, and he was able to access a full report that included executive wages, departmental spend, essentially how much this company was paying its people. Um, he was able to access that because he was a shareholder and, and because of the merge, they wanted full transparency of the details around it. They did a full audit of how the I's were dotted and the T's were crossed. Uh, quite regularly, companies conduct top-to-bottom audits of their business. That information is made available to shareholders because shareholders are putting the money in to the company, so they do have a right to know how it's being spent because they have voting rights uh, within that company. Um, with that in mind, I think that it's time that AFL clubs make their salary cap spend and, by extension, the salaries they are paying the players available to the members. Now, the members are a lot like shareholders. They put their money in. They've got voting rights. They don't get a financial return. Their return is an emotional one. It's an experiential one. It's the feeling of belonging to something and being a part of something, um, something bigger. But for many, it's no less valuable than the return of the financial nature. This is more than just money for people, but they invest and they get a return uh, as a football club member. Now, members vote on boards. Boards then appoint coaches, CEOs, footy directors, and those people then appoint list managers and recruiters. So the CEOs, the football directors, and the list managers put the playing list together, and they decide who gets what and how much they get paid and how they distribute the money in the salary cap. So if you work that back, the members deserve to know who's getting paid what, to determine whether the board, who they voted in, have made the right decision on the people that they have installed to make those decisions and to have them be accountable for those decisions. So I've said many times that I think the list manager role is now the second most important role behind the coach. And I think by the time that we get to the 19th and the 20th teams, it might be on the horizon, it will be equally as important as the coach. We speak about this more and more, about how... Teams manage their list, put their list together, how they spend their money, how they retain their list is just as important as how the team is coached. So we measure coaches on wins and losses and how they're developing a team. What do we measure list managers on? And by extension, the footy boss. So who do we have playing for us and how much are we paying them? Why are we paying for players who might not be on our list anymore? And these are some of the questions you ask. These are some of the things that we judge the list managers on. But it's very hard to judge someone if you don't have all the information. So, for example, if you're a Sydney Swans member and you, your team's just come to the end of the second longest and most expensive contract ever awarded, I reckon you've got the right to know how much you're now going to pay to keep Buddy Franklin there, especially given the healthy crop of young talent, which is growing nicely and not wanting to probably lose 
many, if any, of those players. So I don't particularly care about knowing what a player gets paid. Personally, it's not really any of my business. But I could mount a case that given that 80%, roughly, of what the players get paid comes from the broadcaster's contribution to the game, that they too, as the biggest investor in the game, could say that we're entitled to knowing where that money's going. But it's not about that. And we'd never ask it for that. But it is about getting the reporting right to form and deliver educated and informed opinions on how clubs are managing their list and their salary caps when we're providing commentary on the game, the players and the clubs and how they're run. So I understand why players don't want it. I totally understand why they don't want it. But I've never, ever heard anyone bag a player for getting a good payday. We say good luck, we say well done, and we certainly say well done to the manager who was able to uh, negotiate that deal because your time in the game is limited. The average career is about four to five years. Sometimes you do hear the phrase, for a player to be on that money and only giving that effort on the field or doing what they did off the field, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, we have those, we, we, we hear those phrases mentioned. But the fact is that we already have those phrases being mentioned. So what's the difference? This would provide clarity and it would provide balance. Sadly, there will be the tabloid element, but let's face it, there already is. And I would imagine internally people say, well, players shouldn't know what other players are on, but they do. And if they don't, then they've got an idea. And sometimes that idea might not be correct. And that could lead to trouble internally. But first and foremost, this is about transparency to the most important people in the game. It's the members and the fans, but the members who pay up and just like shareholders, they have a vote. And if they're voting on things, they need to have all the information to make the right vote or to make an informed vote. So it has been happening for years now in other sports and it hasn't been an issue. It hasn't changed a thing, except what it has changed is the accuracy of the reporting and a better understanding for people when they're doing analysis of clubs and how they're run. So all the things that the players don't like about it, and I get it, they're already happening. And I would argue that it does more damage to, re- to be reporting incorrectly on what players are getting paid than it does to report correctly on what the players are getting paid. So one 736 I'm arguing that it's time for players' salaries to be made public, first and foremost, to shareholders. But you can mount the argument that it could go further than that. And if, the, and if your argument is, well, it, but then it'd leak, well, it already leaks anyway. So one 736 Tell me why I'm wrong. It's time that we know what the players are paying. Not because we want to know how much they earn, but we want to know how the clubs are spending their money. one 736 736 on the Sporting Capital. Tell me why I'm wrong. You're listening to the Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEM. Well, I always say that you co-host this show, so I was going to uh, go to our chat with Gary Belcher, but I'm just going to save that for a moment because you've continued to call in and want to have your say and... Who am I to deny you of that? Tell me why I'm wrong. It's still rolling. Roscoe's in North Bourne. G'day, Roscoe. G'day, mate. How are you? Good, buddy. Tell me why I'm wrong. That's all right. Oh, look, I'll start off the same. Personally, I don't believe you're wrong. Um, yeah, I think it should be public knowledge. I mean, all across the world, American sports, NBA, NFL, uh, in Europe, the soccer, all those wages are, are always public. I think it's sort of part of professional sports. Mm. But uh, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate uh, just for the segment, I guess. Please. When it comes to the uh, the AFL, I think a lot of the a lot of the focus is on the higher top earning players, and that's where yep. even in this discussion, you know, we're mentioning Buddy Franklin and those likes. Yeah. But um, I think if there was any damage to be done, 
it would be done to the sort of 90% of players that play maybe 18 games a season. You know, they, mm. they miss a few games. Um, but then their wage, which, you know, through speculation, you probably already know, but I think they're, they're fairly high, especially for the sort of general public. You know, you're looking at 300000 plus for a lot of players out there that maybe a little bit of heat might be put on them from supporters or, or the media if that knowledge was, was publicly known and then, yeah, people would put a bit, a bit more heat there. Could, could on the flip side of that, Roscoe, be that maybe heat would be taken off some players? Because if you do, say, like a GWS or, or like a Richmond does or um, uh, like Melbourne are looking like they're doing, if you've got your top five and, or six on, on big, big coin and then it's pretty evenly spread below and then you've got your rookies and, and your, your younger players as well, they're not on as big a lick, of course, and, and that's a different way. They, they, they sort of top end spend a lot of their money in uh, over just a few players. Like, I think I figured out that Melbourne, if the numbers are right, are spending about 33% of their salary cap on five or six players. I don't have it in front of me, but I did it the other week. You might actually take some pressure yep. off some of those players, given that you go, well, geez, that's, yep. that's not as much as I thought they'd be on. And, okay, yeah, no, fair enough. I, 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 we all the, the, the idea is that every AFL player is getting around making swag of money, uh, bags of money, but that's not really the case, as you pointed out. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I think your your opposite view there is just proof that we are speculating, mm. and so and we don't know if that knowledge was public. Which yeah, you know, I think it should be. Um, yeah, we wouldn't be going both sides of the coin. It'll be one way or the other. Yeah, if but there, yeah, I was just throwing out a yeah. Yep. If there was no salary cap, I, I can understand the argument to not to. But we are judging clubs on how they manage their list. It's, as I said before, the list manager now for many is the second most important job behind the coach. Um, and, and I think soon it'll be the most important if we get more teams in. Um, the other side of it too is even if there wasn't a salary cap and we've got the AFL uh, giving substantial money each year to, uh, to, these, to the clubs uh, who aren't self-sufficient and the broadcasters, about 80% of that money goes to the players as well. So when it's coming from a few different areas, then I think some transparency as well. And the AFL would already know where it's being spent. But um, I think that, those are some factors to, to take in as well. Uh, Roscoe, I appreciate you getting involved, mate. Uh, thanks, mate. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, our good friend, Muzz, are in Geelong. G'day, Muzz. G'day. I um, want to throw a different spin on it. Please, tell me why I'm wrong, you... Muzz. I'd love you to. Well, all you media blokes, especially Mr Corns, yep. you can state that, oh, Charlie Kernow's on 800000 but you don't speculate what your wage is for starters. And I go to the MCG or Cadinia Park to watch football. I don't go to watch what, what they're mm. getting paid. Yep. And if my club can't manage the salary cap, that's their problem. It's not my business. My business is to go to the footy, yell and scream, get rid of my anger, and have a good time. I'm not worried what the players get paid. I think. But, but are you worried, well, Muzz, about the, the, how they manage the list, who they get in? who they don't get well, in, who has to be moved on because well, they get you, squeezed you, out? You, um, well, we didn't squeeze anyone out to bring in Chera and, and um, the bloke from Sydney. No, and the bloke pe- from people UWS. took pay cuts. Some players took pay cuts yes, for that. Yes, but, but that was their choice. Yeah. But, uh, what I'm trying to say is that, um, you know, I get a pension, but I couldn't tell you how much it is, and I shouldn't have to. And no, I don't think you should either. The media, the media shouldn't be questioning what, what Joel Selwood gets compared to um, the full forward, you know, um, 
oh, I've forgotten. Jeremy Cameron or um, Tom, Tom Hawkins? Tom Hawk yep. and Cameron. That's that's their business. Like, oh, no offence, mate. No, no, I, hey, oh, that, the, the segment, Muzzer, the, the segment is called Tell Me Why I'm Wrong. So I'm glad you've told, rang up to tell me why you think I'm wrong. So is there, you know, and, given that they're members, though, you, each club has members, members put in their money, what they, they don't get a return on that investment, what they get a financial return, they get more of an emotional return, but they still invest in the club. And as an investor, do they not have the right to know where the money's being spent and how it's being spent? Um, I think more, but not not on individuals' wages, but I think like um, a loss and profit sheet. Like, you know, this club started the year on $20 million and we spent $14.9 million and we've got $6.1 million as our profit. So what do you think their like, biggest expense would be? I, I know what it is, and that'd be pay a payment. payment. Mm. And it'd be coaches and doctors and physios and... Um, you know, like I've got a mate that, that he's had both his shoulders redone um, at Footscray and, you know, two days after he got out of surgery, he's seeing a, a physio. Well, mm. I've got to wait 14 months to even see a specialist if mm. he'll do surgery on me, you know. Um, but I just think that, that we, what I'm trying to say is that, yeah. if, yes, you can find out what they get paid, good luck to you, but in my point of view, it doesn't interest me. Sure. I want to go and watch Carlton beat Geelong and maybe <laughs> play for the flag. Yep. And I pay a membership every year. Yep. Um, even though it's only a basic 11 games, $140. But that's my donation to the club. That's yep. the way I look at it. Um, you know, um, how is young Phoebe? Has she dropped a bundle yet? No, uh, we're in any day. We're in the end game now. Oh yeah, we're then, then um. You're gonna say you'll be sleepless nights after that. Tour. We're 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 any day now. It's sort of like oh, we'll be... I feel like we've arrived at the ground, and we're just about to start yes. getting like start getting into our. Kit. No, no. What it what it is? You've won you've won lotto, right? You don't know what the prize is. No, yeah. I, I just meant in terms of the preparation for it. I feel I like know, we've arrived yes. at the ground. We're uh, just about to start our stretching. We actually really Have are in, this... starting our stretching, starting our warm-ups, and we're just waiting to be told when we can run out onto the ground. Have you got the suitcase beside the front yes, door? Yes, suitcase is packed and ready. <laughs> um, I'm an uncle by seven and a great-uncle by ten, so I've beautiful. been there and done all that. Well, um, I'm, an old I'm sure I'll be relying on you for, for some advice when I come back, uh, when it all no, goes down, Muzz. But uh, you take care, and may the Blues beat the Cats because... On Wednesday next week, if Geelong beat Carlton, I'll get so much thrown at me at work. But if it's the other way around, no one will talk to me. <laughs> uh, by the way, Muzz, the beautiful Evie's just sent a, a love heart message. Uh, she very much appreciative of your kind words, brother. We'll speak to you oh, soon. No, well, I, uh, see ya. Cheers, bloke. Bye. Uh, good friend, Muzzer in Geelong. Hey, um, we're going to come back and play a bit of uh, the chat that I had earlier with Gary Belcher after we uh, uh, spoke earlier. Uh, about just how phenomenal that State of Origin decider was last night. We'll do that next uh, on the Sporting Capital. You're listening to the Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEN. Goes to Cleary, a little chipping take. No! No! Ben has got the ball. He's over the halfway line. Yo's in pursuit. Hunt's turning out. Yo chasing, but Hunt's run away with it. Queensland have won the Origin. Cleary, little chip over the top. Intercepted by Hunt. 
Ben Hunt races away. Go, Benny! He won't have the pace or will he? Go, He's Benny! He's going. Yo, Jason, Ben Hunt. Ben Hunt will score. There's the game for Queensland. Wasn't it ever? Wasn't it one of the greatest origin games in history? And those are our three different NRL Nation calls. Uh, you heard Jimmy Smith and Andrew McCulloch, the cries of no, no. And then you heard Mark Braybrook and Scotty Sattler uh, sat out of his seat, cheering Ben Hunt to the line to seal it. And then Joel Kane and Mark Carroll. What a moment. Two nights ago, uh, I spoke to Scotty Sattler and, and we both pontificated and mused about the fact that this stage was set for an iconic origin moment, one that will be replayed forever, the likes of which, like Lockyer in 2006, like Talis on Hodgson, like the great moments, whether it be the Cooper Cronk uh, drop kick, you name it, those moments, this or Alfie Langer, the try over the back of his head, there was going to be a moment that was going to live on through the ages of origin. And, and I reckon we got about four of them last night, but Ben Hunt certainly to seal it. Uh, and another Suncorp decider won by Queensland. They just cannot lose there. It was an incredible game. It was a throwback game. It was one of the most destructive and awe-inspiring games that I think I've seen uh, in my time watching State of Origin. A man who's been on the arena 16 times, uh, part of the SEN family, the Sports Day family. Uh, Gary Belch has been good enough to jump on to try and make sense of it all. Badge, hello, mate. Uh, g'day, Sam. Um, not sure I can describe it any better than you can, but I can tell you I'm super, super proud as a as a Queenslander to have been there last night to watch that that performance. And I just want to add one: like Benny Hunt, magnificent game. Uh, Kalen Plonger at the back was just outstanding. Mm. They had great players across the park. A couple of things happened that night that I just I couldn't, you know, I, I have to share with you that the crowd itself was absolutely phenomenal and um, there's always talk about how the Queensland crowd can lift the team and I was there in the 80s when we came up with the Queenslander call and I was the first bloke doing it, I was at the back yelling out Queenslander, well the crowd has caught on to that in the last you know, 10, 15, 20 years, they were chanting at the perfect time, they lifted that side like I've, I've never, um, never heard before, it was amazing and you can actually, because a, a rugby league ground is so much, uh, fans are so much closer to you at that ground in particular, than any AFL ground, you just feel it. You feel the crowd from the moment you run on. Uh, and mate, and the other thing, Sam, was before the game, I interviewed a, a former New South Wales prominent player who basically said, "We can't, we can't, we can't lose." New South, meaning New South Wales. Your best player, Cameron Munster's out. The rest of them aren't up to scratch. There's hardly a player there that would even make the Queensland team. You pick blokes that are barely first graders. Oh, he just gave it to Queensland. I, I said, mate, this is exactly why. We're so filthy about you, mob. You just think you, you rule the world, and yeah. they do. Well, not all of them, but they do generally. And um, they just don't think that Queensland can beat them. With you know, they think the game is won and lost on paper. And we saw last night, definitely not the case. No, and and a couple of years ago they thought the same thing. I mean, um, yeah, the, the, with the, the worst the, team ever, worst team ever, would never, you know, worst Origin team ever, and um, and 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 on that night, the debut of young Harry Grant was something that we'll remember forever. On this night, the debut of Tommy Dearden. I mean, geez, 
Yeah, there was likes that played in 2020. Um, Edric Lee, Branko Lee, uh, Philip Sam. There's guys that may never play Origin again that had outstanding games, the game of their life. And we might even have that again. I'm not saying Tommy Dearden won't be there, but he's down the pecking order in the, in the, in the half and five-eight positions. Um, he certainly proved that if they ever pick him, he's, he's up to it. Mm. But when Munster's back and when young Sam Walker comes through in a couple of years' time and Daly Cherry Evans still got some life in him, Benny Hunt's a great player, he mightn't get a chance again. But I don't think it matters at this stage. He, he would just be on cloud nine. And, and he's, you can imagine how proud his family is of, of young Tommy, who's, you know, he's, it's taken him a while to, to get... He was at the Broncos for a couple of years and they... You know, he's, they sort of discarded him. He ended up at the Cowboys. He was playing good footy in a good side, and all of a sudden, there he is doing amazing things for, for Queensland on the biggest stage. His pass to put Val Holmes through was just sublime. The short pass to, to his left, um, coming with, with the frontal pressure that, you know, as as we've, we know that there's no such thing as a, a lack of pressure in state of origin. The, the, we'll start with the first half, Badge. I can't remember seeing a more brutal first half. The body count high early. Murray, Cobbo, Collins. It, it was as destructive an opener and an opening to a game that that I can remember seeing. And 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 even listening to the calls and watching the calls, players who have been in that furnace were taken aback. I was, I, you know, I played in games where we used to be an all-in in the first five or ten minutes, or at the first scrum, and mm. it was it was punch on and blokes just giving it to each other. But I've never seen the carnage like that, like we saw, and without fisticuffs of blokes just throwing themselves into the fray so hard they knocked themselves out or got knocked out. And yeah, Selwyn Cobbo only lasted a couple of minutes. He was gone, and Lindsay Collins, uh, sorry, even even before that, Cam Murray. Uh, then Lindsay Collins for the Maroons. So it meant, it meant for Queensland that they were down to 15 men. And it's a 13-a-side game, yes. Yep. But being able to rotate your four bench players uh, pretty regularly. And I know in AFL, what are they, how, many, how many rotations do they make? How many players come on and off now? Is it 50, 60 a game or less or more? Or, um, whereas we're allowed uh, eight. And to be down to just two, two players on the bench is, is pretty tricky. So, so yeah it meant they had to be pretty brave in that or very brave in that second half. Uh, so when it was, when they got the second, um, I thought, oh, they, they are looking, I mean, Queensland were the better side for the first half of the first half. And then I thought New South Wales got, got on top. And when Cy Fedian wasn't his, it wasn't his debut, something special, his first carry. Yeah. Oh, that, that was as impressive a first carry as I can remember seeing. I thought, oh, that. They seemed and and Tedesco was just everywhere and getting his nose through at every opportunity. I thought, oh, this this isn't looking good. But but when Capewell got over just before the half, I thought, oh, something. I felt like something special was about to take place. Even though Val Holmes missed the conversion, did did you feel that 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 try that just needed to get that try to 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 make sure that they they felt like they were still in touch. Oh yeah, and and the timing of putting Harry Grant on as the as the uh, at, at dummy half and yeah. slotting Benny Hunt back into law. I think that was perfect it was because Harry Grant, the Melbourne Storm player, is one of the um, the real talents in our game, and he's he causes them all sorts of trouble whenever he's on the field. And he a little bit of a pirouette at dummy half there and and uh, put that kick through for Capewell. He was really making things happen. You know, I'm, I thought at the time um, 
I didn't mind him missing the kick because it meant Queensland were going to keep chasing mm. uh, points and, and trying, you know, desperately to get to the other end of the park as opposed to maybe trying to defend, a, you know, a, an even scoreline. And it just it just kept Queensland on, on point, you know. They were so, so desperate in the second half. Um, yep. And I don't know exactly what was said at half time. And I know Billy, you know, alluded to the fact that it was going to take a, a pretty special performance. But... Mm. Um, yeah, they, whatever they said to him at halftime, this coaching staff, they got it just right. Gary Belcher, who I caught up with a little early this afternoon, that's only halfway through that chat, and we haven't even got to the second half, which was um, will go down as one of the greatest second halves from a Queensland point of view, but just the game itself was phenomenal. And New South Wales, they defended so stoically, but they kept making mistakes in offence. Queensland kept getting tries, disallowed, and then finally, um, Kalen Ponga, who we talk about in the rest of that chat. It'll be up on sen.com.au on the Sporting Capital page. He gets his first origin try and then the Val Holmes moment, the desperate dive over touch to keep the ball in play and keep it alive. And then Ben Hunt, an iconic moment that will live on forever. And so too will that win. So, oh yeah, it had everything. Uh, sen.com.au to hear the rest of the chat. By the way, Cameron Young through 15 is still a three-shot leader and day one of the Open Championship. Rory McIlroy is four under through nine. Cameron Smith four under through 17 as well. Ernie Els four under through 11. And what about John Daly playing with Bryson DeChambeau, the original master blaster and now the big bomber in Bryson. Hey, thanks so much for the night. Enjoy your footy weekend. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.